Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing... The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, Night Nation. Proud to let you know that the Sons of UCF podcast is presented by the law firm of Gordon and Partners. Since 1993, Gordon and Partners have been dedicated to the pursuit of justice for those who have been wrongfully injured at no fault of their own. It's important that you get legal advice from somebody you trust. So contact UCF alum Michael Hoffman directly if you have any legal needs or questions. Visit their website at www.fortheinjured.com or text 407-913-5350 to speak directly to Michael. Don't trust just anybody. Trust the best and trust a fellow knight. Gordon and Partners for the injured. This is the Sons of UCF, the number one place for UCF sports. With your distinguished host, Adam. Let's all get together and see who can solve the wordle the fastest. And Mike. You know, last year I think I said about 30 people in the UCF, Sons of UCF group. Let's try to double that. Let's try to get 50. Now, here are the guys. All right, welcome back. Episode number 185 of the Suns UCF. My name is Adam, and as always, my friend and yours, Mr. UCF Mike, has returned for another week. Mike, welcome back. Hey, man. How's it going? This is a little different setup. I mean, we just recorded an interview, and we were able to, to do a video, and now I can see your beautiful face here while we're recording the regular show. Wow. Wow, flatter will get you everywhere. Yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I'm supposed to look at you. I usually I normally don't look at you. I'm looking at something else when I'm talking, so I don't know what to do as uh, as we do this. But uh, if you're listening, do this. Uh, stay for the whole thing because you're you're going to hear a few things. One, fantastic interview with Brett Bell, who was a a great player at UCF, uh, at least uh, in, in practice, from what he told us. You know, didn't get a chance to to crack the field as much as he wanted to, but really good story. You're going to hear his uh, his experience at UCF. He was through a lot of stuff, so stick around for Brett Bell. I got a fun game for Mike here we're going to play a little game last week i gave him 25 million dollars this week i'm going to give him a lot of power so stick around for that mike and we'll do some news notes headlines off the top cow of the week we got you all covered so your usual show here stick out it'll be a good time for everybody yeah i think it's been proven that last week you didn't give me enough money 25 million is only going to buy you what a quarterback and maybe a couple other players in today's day and age as we saw what happened earlier today I feel bad that that's not, somehow that turns into be my fault. I didn't give you enough money, but what are you going to do, Mike? Uh, not a whole lot going around. News and notes just off the top here. Uh, and probably the most exciting news for a lot of players, a lot of people. Uh, Demarcus Bowman, Mike, he's a former five-star running back, signed with Clemson, uh, played the two games for them, then went to Florida, played four games with them. Today he is boom announced. He is coming to UCF, 5'10", 190. 
Uh, one scout had him clocked at sub four five speed, which I guess is pretty good. And Mike, you'll take this note because you know this area well. Uh, and one of his last games in high school, he ran for 222 yards against St. Thomas Aquinas. Uh, which has a, a lot of NFL uh, caliber guys on their on their team pretty much every year, Mike. So Demarcus Bowman, running back, not sure if he's eligible because this is a double transfer now, but joins the UCF running back room. Your thoughts? Yeah, it looks like he's going to have to sit out one year, which is fine because we are pretty set up at running back this year anyway with Bowser and Richardson. Both those guys may be gone after this year, so we're going to have to reload. Uh, seems like a perfect fit. I'm always a little wary about guys that have transferred – once twice and not you know this is his third school now so Mm -hmm. guys like that kind of always concern me a little but you know sometimes you just need to find that right fit the things in florida are falling apart fast over there with the sunbelt billy running the show so maybe he just couldn't wait to get out of there and find a good spot here in orlando where he can win some football games Honestly, if he has to retro that may be the best thing, right? Because, you know, if Johnny Richardson, I mean, from a, a size standpoint, he's, he's more of the smaller size, right? We have, we have Bowser and Mark Anthony uh, and Jordan McDonald are bigger backs, Bowman more of a smaller back. So it may actually be helpful if he sits this year, learns the system, whatnot, then we still have him for, I think, three seasons after that. So that could actually be a help if he's uh, not immediately eligible. There's some thought that that wasn't that important to him, that he doesn't care if he can play this year or not. Um, so we'll see, obviously, how that shakes out, Mike. But this really opens up that Orlando to, to Polk County connection. I think a lot of folks really interested and excited to see that. Don't exactly know what happened between between Bowman and Florida, but it seemed like on social media things quickly turned and everyone was all like, hey, Florida screwed this up. They're not going to get any Polk athletes. And Gus is just sitting there smiling on his deck with the booms again, Mike. So even if this doesn't pan out, at least I think this is another smart, you know, chestnut checkers move by Gus to, to try to put a flag into Polk County and say, no, we'll we'll take all your kids. Don't even worry about going to Gainesville. Yeah, it's a huge part of this state. It's right in that I-4 corridor between Orlando and Tampa. That's forever been the area that we've been trying to attack recruiting-wise. Florida's had a stronghold in there for a very long time. So if Billy Napier's going to go in there and ruin that, and Malzahn's here to eat up the crumbs, I, yeah, I'm all for that. You know, so I, I think it's it's a perfect fit for us at a perfect time. And if this kid's only, if he's going to be an NFL player, if he's going to be as good as we think he is, we might only see him for one season. You know, he comes in, he's already going to be old enough to enter the draft by then. So, you know, we, he was a five-star recruit. And he was, yeah. you know, either those guys either end up in the NFL or as George O'Leary said, uh, working at McDonald's, hopefully this guy is an NFL guy. Well, that was a three-star recruit on the transfer back, so I don't know how that works. Typically, you lose a couple stars on the transfer. And you're right, this is his second transfer, right? So it didn't work out at Clemson, two games, 32 yards total. Uh, went to Florida, four games, 81 yards. Uh, it's always interesting when you're on the on the third transfer. I'm not saying he's Joey Gatewood, but Joey Gatewood comes to mind as a guy who's on his third transfer. You always wonder kind of what's at play here. Um, but it's it's clear Gus is loading up on running backs. We saw Heupel load up on wide receivers. That was kind of where he went. Heupel, I mean, that running back room, Mike, and we forget about R.J. Harvey, who was a fantastic running back. We forget about Anthony Williams, who was a great recruit who could probably play a lot of schools. Damaris Good had to leave and go play in Carter Ward just because he didn't have any opportunity to get reps. That running back room is, is just is just sick with all these these talented kids, Mike. It, if, if Gus can figure out a way to put them in, in positions to be successful, um, man, oh, man, it's, it's going to be a nice a nice rushing attack for UCF this year, especially if you have a Plumlee, for instance, a quarterback, which is another threat with his legs. Yeah, and don't forget about this freshman, Jordan McDonald. That's the guy I'm really looking forward to seeing, too. Big guy. What are the measurables on this on the new kid? He's a big kid, too, or 
Uh, Bowman's 5'10", 190. It's a little bit smaller. It seems like he could fit into that Richardson role. Him and McDonald, kind of that one-two punch like we're going to see with Bowser and Richardson this year. Yeah, the dominoes are setting up uh, for sure. So don't know if he'll apply for a waiver. Don't know if he'll get a waiver. Don't know if he's comfortable just kind of sitting out a year, Mike. But, um, you know, we'll, we'll see. But, again, that pipeline opens up taking a kid from Florida uh, to UCF and people are noticing Mike, we saw um, uh, Mike Farrell, who is a a well-known college football guy basically said, if there's one sleeper school out there right now that he'd be scared of, it'd be UCF. So people are starting to take notice, obviously, especially on the transfer part. Uh, We've had a bunch of names this year, Mike. And, uh, you know, last week we talked about losing recruits and how frustrating that was. And what does that mean? Well, this week, uh, obviously we get Bowman, a, a, a former five-star, and then we're on boom watch for a tight end, Randy Pittman. Mike, he committed to Florida State, decommitted this past week. If you remember, we had uh, we had a, a tight end who actually decommitted from us last week as well. The thought was maybe Randy Pittman was at play 6'2", 230. He's a three-star guy, Mike, flipping from Florida State, potentially the UCF. What does that tell you that we've got guys from a Florida and a Florida State now who are saying, hey, you know what, I want to go to UCF. I want to go play for Gus Malzahn. Yeah, we've seen it not just from those schools, but all kinds of schools in the SEC. Our quarterback this year, Plumlee, came from Ole Miss. We, we've got a couple guys from Florida now. Now we got a guy from Florida State. So those are great signs. I mean, it's better than getting guys coming from UAB. Uh, you know the way I bashed the linebacker that came over from UAB that was here for a day. Um, Chris Mall, I already knew you. <laughs> a couple of these other guys, you know. It's a good sign that we're getting the players from – the P5 schools, and we're not all, all our transfers are not coming from Incarnate Word and schools like that. So um, I love it. I love it. And if, and if it's hurting schools like Florida and Florida State, even better. And there's chatter tonight on social media, Mike. We're recording this on Monday. There's people saying that UCF has a bunch more recruits that are that are looking to commit and potentially going to commit. So uh, who, who knows if this could be the sort of the boom boon that we've been looking for. And we'll find uh, some more guys coming to UCF. Obviously, you know, this is this typically the summertime where guys have done taking their visits and they'll they'll make that first announcement. Always got to be aware of the flips. Always got to be aware of the, uh, the decommits. Uh, but I guess there's some thought that potentially more commits coming on the way, Mike. So uh, all in all, recruiting in full swing. Uh, you know, you're, you're seeing summer workouts. Mike R.J. Harvey looks like a looks like a tanker right now. If you saw that picture today posted, I mean, he, he from a skinny quarterback. I mean, he looks like a, a pretty uh, bulked up guy. So you know, guys are getting after in the weight room. Yeah, and you know the way they've been training. I've seen a couple of videos this off season of them working out, and it seems like they know exactly what they're doing. They're preparing themselves for this season. Um, you know, these guys, you watch them train. And it, some of my training videos on Instagram, I, I can't even come close to, <laughs> to what these guys are pushing around weight-wise. So it, it gets me pretty hyped up for the season. So things are working hard on the on the football front, Mike, and obviously we're, we're continuing to, to be on uh, on boom watch. We'll, we'll see what happens there. We also saw news that um, – um, from a linebacker standpoint, um, the Kansas State transfer, uh, Braden Jennings, looks like he will be eligible to play. So position of need, Jennings coming in, uh, he will be, uh, I guess, eligible, or he did get his waiver, Mike. So that's also good news. That's probably the position that we're most concerned about at this point, right, is the linebacking spot. So having him be able to be eligible right away um, certainly helps out. Um, you know, that that second spot next to JJB still kind of up for grabs. Jennings, you know, appears to have a bunch of talent, as does Terrence Lewis. So we'll see how that, how that spot shakes up. But having more people eligible is better than not having people eligible right this could have gone very bad quickly we saw the issue that terrence lewis had a couple months ago that seems to have been cleared up maybe he's still going to get a little punishment here when at the beginning of the season 
to have him eligible, to have this other kid eligible, that, that's as good as we can hope for right now. And Mike, this is just uh, breaking while you and I are talking here. Um, so I, I don't, I suspect you won't have the ability to opine on it very much, but uh, word out there that the Big 12 is aiming to hire their new commissioner. And it is none other than a guy named Brett Yormark, who is the uh, the uh, Rock Nation executive. He's the CEO of Rock Nation, which is Jay-Z's um, uh, yeah, marketing firm slash talent agency slash um, I think it represents clients out of there, too. Uh, so uh, Brett Yormark, potentially uh, uh, the new Big 12 commissioner. It's, uh, that name sounds familiar. His brother, Michael, was his Michael brother. Yormark? Yes, who used to be, I think, the CEO or CEO of the Panthers down in uh, down in Florida. Right. Um, yeah, so little ties down here. Uh, I mean, I think a lot of people were expecting maybe an Oliver Luck name. Some people were tossing around a Resco. Uh, and it's a good thing maybe that we're not going to go ahead in that direction. So um, I, ties to this uh, Jay-Z thing, I, I, I don't know how that affects us as a, him being a commissioner. So... Uh, it's interesting. It's nothing set yet. Sometimes we hear these names come out and then something completely in the opposite direction happens. So until you tell me he's actually named commissioner, um, I'm gonna have to do a little more research on the guy. Uh, I can help you with that. He was with NASCAR for six years, um, spent 14 years as the, the general manager and CEO of the Barclays Center, which is where the Nets play, uh, where he spent some time working on getting the ACC basketball tournament there. Also some uh, some top level matchups there. He's obviously well known as a um, sort of a uh, an industry uh uh, figure, if you will, more on the entertainment side. We you know we talked about obviously the Big Twelve contract and that maybe being the most important thing. Um, so we saw the Pac twelve do something similar like this, bringing in a non traditional football guy. Um, so your mark, uh, the quote here is considered to be one of the more connected and bright executives within the entertainment industry. So maybe the thinking here, Mike, is that he is, uh, you know, he he's somebody who can help us with a TV contract, um, maybe in the NAL space. You know, maybe more of a progressive hire. You know, getting the ACC tournament out of North Carolina and into Brooklyn, that had to take some kind of uh, some kind of negotiating there because you don't think Brooklyn, New York, when you think ACC basketball, right? That, that's yes, been tobacco road yeah. forever. And so there must have been something there for him to do that, pull that deal off. So let's see what he can do. If he can get us the most money possible, that's his main job, right? Job number one as commissioner, make money for the league, keep all the, the university presidents happy. Obviously, we'll uh, we'll continue to uh, digest what this means. I'm sure uh, something we'll cover on the live show this Thursday. If you want to join us, 8 p.m. Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Make sure you're subscribing to all those places too. By the way, we finally hit the 450 mark, Mike. So you'll notice behind me, mugs are gone. They at some point, no one else can see this. By the way, as I'm pointing, only Mike can see me. The mugs that are usually behind me are gone, so they will be shipped out to some lucky winners here soon. We also just gave away the last one just because I had one left. What are you gonna do with it? So mugs are gone. Thank you for getting us to 450. Now we want to get to 500. If you're also looking behind me, you'll see another product placement situation there. So maybe some other new merchandise coming courtesy of the Suns here very shortly. So maybe we get to 500. We got some more goodies for you. So keep uh keep up the good work. Subscribe. Tell a friend. Make sure they their friend tells another friend. And uh, we also got over 2,000 on Twitter, Mike. We're our little engine that could here. What are you going to do? Yeah, we're building up quickly. Uh, my, my followers are, are going up by the day, too. Actually, just now, after recording, I got a notification on my Instagram. Night Fan Stan started following me on Instagram. So you can't beat that. Night Fan Stan is one of the legends in UCF fandom. Wow. 
Oh, he's following me. I have to check that. Uh, I have to check that out, Mike. So I'm news sure. and notes. Obviously, we'll get into to more of uh, the uh, commissioner stuff as we uh, as we go throughout the week, Mike. But I've got a game for you. You got time for a game? You, you free? You got anything going on? Yes, I'm, I already warned you off the top. My phone may die at any second, but yeah, I'm ready to play. Okay, here's the game. Uh, so we've been working on this, uh, you know, th- this whole deal. Uh, and obviously our friends at Gordon and Partners, Michael Hoffman, who you heard off the top of the show, fantastic partners for us. Make sure you reach out to Michael with any and all legal questions. If he can't help you, he will find you somebody that can uh, for the injured.com. Make sure you check out Michael Hoffman. Mike, we've been trying to do I object. I don't think it really worked out. So this week, a little different spin on it. Okay, here's what I'm gonna do for you. I've got some people that I'm going to bring up on charges. They're being charged with a crime, and you're going to tell me whether or not they're guilty or not guilty, right? So I'm going to give you the person, their offense. You tell me guilt or innocent. Are you ready for this? All right. I, like, I kind of like this better. I'm the jury. I'm the executioner. You're the judge. You're the jury. You're the executioner. You're the whole nine yards. I'm just here to, to bring you the info. This is not meant to be a political commentary on what's going on with people and justices and courts. But, Mike, you are the Supreme Court Justice of the Sons of UCF. So I'm going to bring you my, uh, my, my clientele here. Are you ready? All right, let's do it. The first person in front of the uh, in front of you is Gus Malzahn, Mike. His charge, he's been charged with bringing in too many transfers, which is going to ruin the team chemistry. That's the charge he's facing, Gus Malzahn, bringing too many transfers in, which is going to hurt team chemistry. Is he guilty or not guilty? You know, team chemistry depends on whether you win or lose. When you're losing, yeah, everybody's fighting with each other and they're kind of coming up with a reason. Oh, I'm not getting playing time. I should be starting over this guy that all, anything pops up. But when you're, the team is winning, nobody cares. You know, everybody kind of comes together. Everybody's working towards one common goal. So to me, it doesn't make a difference where the players come from. If they, if he can find the group that comes together and plays together and can win some football games, I think everybody would be happy. I don't care if the whole roster came from a different school at some point. So I'll say not guilty. He's got to put the best players in the best position to help this team win. And if it means he has to go to the SEC to get them, then that's fine with me. Yeah, I tend to agree. It's interesting when we talk to Brett Bell, which, you're, which you'll hear in a few minutes, he, he brings us up at one point about, you know, hey, guys, we're a little uncomfortable when Gus got there and more guys coming in, but ultimately made the team better overall. And so maybe that'll be the same perspective. But obviously UCF has been big in the portal and we're seeing guys, you know, transfer out to Marco Domio, who was just transferred in last year to play cornerback. He's now leaving probably because you know, the, the secondary is pretty, pretty stacked at this point. So I'm not sure if he can get, he can get into the, uh, into the rotation, but um, from a chemistry standpoint, I think a lot of these guys are also Florida guys. They've played in Florida. So I imagine they know some of the guys on the team. They probably have some friends, some teammates, you know, probably some connections. So I'm not that I get a chance to do this. I'm just the guy who presents the cases to you, but I'm going to agree with your, your judgment here. I don't think Gus is guilty. I think he's, he's innocent. He has been set free. Um, Gus Malzahn no longer facing charges from UCF. Mike, the next one though, these various UCF NIL collectives, whatever one you want to think about in this case, Mike, that, that is who was on trial here. They're in front of you. Their crime, they're being charged with not creating enough of a big money pot to lure or keep recruits. So UCF collectives, they're not doing enough. Mo- there's not enough money, Mike. Guilty or not guilty? Well, unfortunately, that they are guilty. And oh, I don't know gosh. if it's their fault. <laughs> I mean, they're trying to get people to donate to these things. And, you know, if every alum, and we're, we've said it already on the show, we're going to have the largest living alumni base in the Big 12 once we enter there's a lot of us that have graduated from UCF. If everybody donated 10 bucks, 20 bucks, we'd have a lot of money. But 
that unfortunately that's not the case. So these guys gotta have to try to drum up money from whether it's corporations, big businesses, their own money, whatever they gotta do. But they need to come up with a lot more of it because just today, University of Miami is getting a quarterback for nine point five million dollars. To be One fair, player. he said that's not true. That's not happening. That's not, he really liked Miami, and that's why he went there. One player is getting paid more <laughs> than a lot of starting NFL quarterbacks. If fair. you think about it that way, or definitely a lot of backup NFL quarterbacks, or all of the backup quarterbacks. So, for, in order for us to compete against schools like Miami and Alabama, and when we head into the Big Twelve, you know, Oklahoma State—they've got a lot of big-time donors, a lot of oil money in the Big Twelve. Uh, we're going to have to step it up. We're going to have to get a lot more money than what we have now. Not saying it's their fault, but they, they, you, they're the ones being brought up on the charges. Do they have enough money? No, they don't. So they're guilty. Uh, and then allegedly Florida offered that same kid $11 million and uh, he took Miami's $9 million. Again, all that being refuted. Apparently that's all not true. Believe what you want on that one, Mike. Here's the, I think this is a hung jury. I think they they get off on a technicality. <laughs> this is this is a hung jury because I, I agree with you. They, the money just isn't there to, to do this. I also don't know that you want to offer this kind of money to everybody, right? I think there has to be selective recruits that UCF has to go after or wants to go after. So I don't know that you need a large pot. I don't know that we're going to get in that game where we're doing $9, $10, 11000000 million deals. But it would be helpful to have something when a, a kid is thinking about going to Florida for 350 and we go, hey, you know what, 375, right? There, there should be something that allows that to happen. I don't want to get in that $9, 10000000 million range. But, you know, keep me in the 150 to 350 range. I think that's someplace we can live in and win in the margin. So I'm going to say they're, they're, this is a hung jury. They, they get off, Mike. Unfortunately, there's a, a technicality in court. They're, they're off. They're off scot-free. All right. I mean, I'm not saying they're guilty for their own fault, but okay. if we want to start hanging with these big boys, we got to come up with some money somehow. Maybe, we, right, <laughs> maybe they need to start a uh, OnlyFans page or something. A couple extra bucks. We we need to start an OnlyFans. Not not we. The guys that run these NIL. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Goes <laughs> well. I'm not sure that's going to work out, Mike. All right, Mike, the next one for your humble consideration here. We have uh, in front of you the UCF Hall of Fame election slash selection committee. They are here today, Mike. Their crime, not including Gene McDowell in the UCF Hall of Fame. They are facing stiff penalties. Gene McDowell not in the Hall of Fame. Mike, that is their crime. Are they guilty or not guilty? This is a little tough one. They have criteria of what is allowed in the Hall of Fame and what is not, right? And the way Gene ended his tenure as head coach at UCF was under the the cell phone scandal. Now, a lot of people know that he did that and probably covered up to save a lot of other people from losing their jobs or maybe getting some kids in trouble. So maybe he actually did the right thing that way. But technically, that's probably the only thing that's keeping him out of the Hall of Fame right now. As we know, he's the uh, the godfather of UCF football. He started the whole thing. We've heard the stories of how the program was going to get shut down a couple times if it was not for him. So based on that and his coaching abilities alone, he should be in. But uh, rules are rules, right? And the, I guess they'd have to amend something because if, if they let him in, maybe there's a couple other guys that will sneak in there too. So, um, you know, I want to see him get in. Uh, I would have liked to see him get in while he was still alive. Now mm-hmm. it's a little bit too late anyway. So if you weren't going to put him in while he was alive for him to see it, and those are the rules, then I guess he just stays out for now to it. Uh, so not guilty. Wow. Interesting. Uh, I, I Rules or rules is not something I thought I'd hear from uh, from you tonight. Um, 
I'm going to go with guilty. I think this is something where, um, you know, he's, he's obviously passed on. Um, you know, I, you said that maybe a couple guys sneak in. They still have to be voted in, right? So it isn't like, you know, something happens catastrophic with a player that they're automatically into into the Hall of Fame. Um, you know, so, you know, rule, and what happens, I guess, what's the rule book if somebody who's in the Hall of Fame, you know, gets caught up in something? Are they removed from the Hall of Fame? Or are they at that point ineligible? Um, so I think it has to be considered. It has to be a factor. Um, and maybe an amendment can be made that says that, you know, hey, uh, under certain circumstances or, you know, by a different measure or a different vote, a stricter vote, something along those lines. Um, you know, but I, I think for what Gene meant to the program, um, you know, it wasn't what I would consider. It's almost like a Pete Rose deal, right? It's not a, a violent crime, um, you know, something that was, was uh, injuring of a, of a person. So I think this is one where you can amend the rules to maybe um, stipulate certain, you know, criminal activities, um, certain, certain things from that perspective. Um, and at this point, he served a lifetime ban. His lifetime has, has come to an end. I think it's, it's time to figure out a way to get Gene in the Hall of Fame. Um, I think it's everyone kind of knows he's in the hall of fame. Everyone kind of knows he deserves it. Let's just make it official. Let's make it formal. You know, people are smart. They can figure out how to write rules. That makes sense. So I say, I say they're guilty. Let's, let's figure out a way to get Gene in there. Yeah. I'd love for him to be in. I think he deserves to be in. I just, it sucks now that if he does get in, he won't be around to see it. You know, sure. and it's going to be the same thing with Pete Rose. They're going to wait till the day he dies and then they're going to put him in, which is it's stupid. I mean, you know, let these people in, enjoy the, the moment. Gene could have had a very nice moment. That the Hall of Fame has been around for a long time now. That that cell phone scandal was back before we even started attending college. That's how back long ago it was. So I think we could have been over this whole thing by now. They could have amended whatever it is in their bylaws to get him in, and they chose not to do it. And now it's like a little bit too late. So uh, if you're gonna stick with it, then I guess just stick with it in, in case. Um, something pops up with somebody else and you have this whole, same decision to make in the future. I don't even know. What is the thing with the, the NFL hall of fame? Is OJ Simpson in the hall of fame? He is. He has to be. Right? He is. Yeah. He, he never is. took him out. Uh, he, well, he's not guilty, Mike. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he didn't do it. He got off. He's not guilty. I mean, he's guilty of like whatever assault or stealing a memorabilia or whatever, but he, he was found not guilty of a double homicide. Uh, all right. But if he did it, <laughs> if, but I mean, same baseball, right? I mean, isn't, isn't Ty Cobb to be a reputed, not nice human being. And he's in the baseball hall of fame. Isn't that, isn't that how that worked? Yeah. Yeah. And Ty Cobb is a, is a complete asshole, apparently according to everybody. And he got in. So, um, there's certain things you can't do. P Rose is out because he was gambling on the game. That's the integrity of the game. Uh, what Gene did, didn't affect anything on the football field. I don't think, unless you want to say, you know, we were illegally getting players to come to UCF because we were handing them cell phones. So I don't think that was the case. But, um, you know, he, he should have been in. And I guess they can amend it now. It, it do something for his family, maybe. They, they'd enjoy that. But I'm even sure even them, if you ask them, would say maybe it's a little too late. Yeah, and, that, and that's fair. And maybe that's something that goes on behind the scenes and you and I just aren't looped into Right. Maybe they reach out to his family and, and they've declined or don't want him to be involved. It just, you know, it just feels it, it's just one of those things. Everybody knows it. Let's just figure out a way to make it work. Right. If that's maybe a plaque in the stadium someplace or there should be something um, there that that commemorates that. I'm like, OK, uh, here's the next one coming before you to, to have uh, their uh, their their situation heard is none other than yourself. UCF Mike. 
is uh, is now standing in front of Not UCF yet. Mike. Okay, <laughs> and uh, UCF Mike's being charged with uh, putting Ryan Schneider ahead of Blake Bortles on his quarterback Mount Sunsmore. Mike, that's the the charges Schneider over Bortles. Uh, that uh, that that is a, an egregious error. Some would say, Mike. So is UCF Mike guilty of putting Schneider over Bortles on the Mount Sunsmore? No, I am the only person that did this. I am the only person judging from the comments that thinks this, right? But there's certain things when I was doing my top five list that, you know, Blake could easily be number one on this list. If he had come back for that senior year, imagine coming back after that Fiesta Bowl, that 2014 team was loaded and ready to go. We know the games that we lost that year. I believe we beat Penn State in Ireland if he's the quarterback. I believe we beat Missouri. I believe we beat UConn, and I think we probably have an undefeated season in 14 following up that Fiesta Bowl, but he didn't. He did not start at quarterback his freshman year, right? He sat behind Godfrey. So really two seasons at quarterback for Blake Bortles, good years, but if you got to go to the record book and, and stats count, Ryan Schneider is, has more touchdowns than anybody. He's got more completions, more attempts, more yards, in the Division One era than any quarterback that we've ever had. So stats-wise, he's got him beat. He stuck around. I know that things didn't end perfectly with Ryan there at the end, but he's got the stats on him. And, and a lot of people get into this whole debate uh, with the Dante and Mackenzie Milton thing. Well, if Dante had Mackenzie Milton's uh, supporting cast, imagine what he could have done then. Well, if Schneider had the teams that uh, Bortles had, what what could he have done? How much more winning could he have done with that defense? You know, and and that O'Leary running game, I think it's a completely different thing too. So, you know, I'm going to stick with it. I'm sticking with Schneider. Now, am I a little biased? Yeah, I'm a little biased. I, 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 we have a very good friend in common, Schneider and I do. So I've I've hung out with him uh, numerous times. I, you know, we've been to uh, weddings together. We've hung out with the guy a bunch of times. Been to a few football games together. So that plays a part in it, sure. But I think I have the stats to back myself up here. I'm going to stick with Ryan Schneider as number three. Interesting. Interesting case you make here, right? So I think this, this Mount Sunsmore thing and, and an actual Mount Rushmore, too, if we were doing it as a four-person uh, uh, item, it, it, you, you said it earlier, it really depends on a lot of different intangibles, a lot of different factors. It's simply some people just look at pure talent. Um, some people look at success on the field. Some people look at, you know, big games, big, big wins, you know, what they brought to the school. Um, and, and that's where this gets a little tricky. I think where, you know, I, I don't I, I try to keep the well, if so and so was on so and so's team, so and so would have been better because those are just arguments that are going to get you nowhere. Right. That's just talking in circles. That's just mental masturbation. It won't get you anywhere. So I prefer to think through what do they do with the team and the talent they had around them. Blake obviously got UCF to a Fiesta Bowl victory, you know, got us, you know, at that point, the, the biggest victory in UCF history. Schneider's, you know, uh, what is his, his major victory, I guess, is Alabama, right, is the one you'd probably point to, which at that time was a program changing. Um, just from a narrative standpoint, it really didn't, you know, amount to much on field. Um, so I think it's closer than people, you know, recognize. A lot of people, though, Mike, they knock Schneider for the exit strategy. They knock him, obviously, um, some things off the field, got him off the team. And then some people still don't forgive him for that helmet thing. That, that, the, the cow sticker on the helmet. Some people are still not letting Schneider uh, slide by on that one. Yeah, and that, that is understandable. Uh, although we were not really rivals with South Florida at the time, we hadn't even played them in football during Schneider's time. But 
believe me, every time I see Schneider, I bring it up to him too myself. So I get it. I understand where the UCF fans are coming from. And, and you know, this is not a knock on Blake at all. Because like I said, Blake could be number one if he starts one more season. The only thing I held him back for was just not enough starts. I think he has 30 less touchdown passes than Ryan, which is a, a big number. So just stats-wise alone, Ryan did give us that win in Alabama, which was the biggest win in school history for, let's say, what, 13 years, really, up until I think Bortles, I think the, the win in Louisville probably passed it in, in the 2013 season. But for a long time, that Alabama game was the only game that we had to hang our hats on. And Schneider brought us that one. And he was a freshman back then, too. I think he was a redshirt freshman. So young kid. And you know, he, had, he had some weapons, too. But it wasn't the same all-around teams that Bortles got to be a part of. The thing I don't like about this whole Mountain Sunsmore thing, and we've got another one coming this week that uh, um, I've seen all three lists now. And, and Mike Trace and I have difference, uh, difference of opinion on this list. So some more controversy, I'm sure, will ensue. The thing I don't like about it is it forces you then to argue against guys that you don't want to argue against, right? Like, I, I imagine for you, I saw you doing a lot of, of Dante uh, arguments against, which I imagine for you is not something you want to do, right? You do, you not, I mean, I know you love Dante. I know Dante was the quarterback that, that we probably remember the most from our time at UCF. And you find yourself in positions having to argue against guys. It's just weird. You need like a shower after that. Yeah. I, you know how much we love Dante. He was our first guy. You always remember your first. And he was larger than life. <laughs> uh, he, he was larger than life. And he went on to the NFL. And he was a big name. And he was the guy that uh, we most associated with UCF. Probably for a long time, probably considered the most famous person to come out of UCF. And, you know, we were very proud of Dante. But if you go and you're going to compare him to Mackenzie Milton, to me, as, you know, this is not saying who had the, the best uh, – attributes you know who's the bigger guy who's the faster guy who has a stronger arm it's about winning football games and Mackenzie Milton went 25 games in a row without losing one and Dante had plenty of games where he could have been the difference and and helped us put us over the top but we just he just didn't do it that Auburn game I told you during the pandemic I went back and watched that thing remember we were doing that thing where uh, we watched the old games and I kind of commented on them live while I was watching them Mm -hmm. Dante sucked in that Auburn game. And I don't think there's any nicer way to say it. Four interceptions. The defense played fantastic. I think that we gave up one first down in the first half. Uh, we, we held Auburn to like 50 yards in the first half. Completely shut them down. Uh, we're winning that game, even with his four interceptions at the end. And, you know, a bad snap, yes, but just fall on the ball, Dante. He falls on the ball. That game's over. We can't do that. That one really stings. The, uh, the game, I think it was the, the Ole Miss game where he's going for two and he trips over somebody's feet and going in to, to tie the game. Just moments like that, to me, is the difference between having him one and having him two. And Mackenzie Milton didn't have th- those moments where you could say he blew the game or he had a chance to carry us and he didn't. So for that reason, I think it's clear Mackenzie Milton is the number one quarterback. Not saying if you put them next to each other, hey, who's got the stronger arm? Yeah, Dante does. Who's faster? Dante's probably faster and bigger and all, all that stuff I get. But quarterback is about winning, right? The Marino-Montana argument for me was never an argument. It was Joe Montana because he won Super Bowls and Dan Marino lost in the playoffs every year. That's the difference. 
Dan Marino got killed in this segment. Uh, yeah, I agree. Look, I, I have a Dante jersey that, that hung behind me for you know, several years of us doing a show. I mean, Dante was, uh, you know, my favorite UCF player. But to your point, KZ won the games that that mattered the most. Uh, and you have to take into account that that's, you know, that's how this lo- this works. Like, and you mentioned, you know, other comparables, right? You think about the University of Miami, right? And, you know, they had some legendary quarterbacks, right? They had, you know, Steve Walsh, you know, Toretta, Craig Erickson. Ken Dorsey may be the best of all of them. And he looked like he was, you know, you know, 5'10", 115 pounds, right? Uh, and, and he didn't have the strongest arm, wasn't the fastest guy, but, you know, he was able to lead his team to victories, um, you know, when needed to. And I think that's that's where KZ, to your point, gets the nod um, over Dante. It's not a – it's to me, it wasn't a talent conversation. It didn't say most talented QB of all time because that's a whole different story. Um, you know, in that place, Justin Holman may be in there because he had a rocket for an arm, right? There there are guys who had a bunch of talent, but I think it's a, it's about um, – you know, the whole body of work. And the one thing I don't do is I don't say, well, put Dante on KZ's team and KZ and Dante's team because, well, who's the coach? Who's calling the plays? What system are we running? Are we, you know, what defense are you playing? You can't, you just can't, it's not that easy. You have to sort of assess where they were. Um, and, and I thought KZ was a clear number one too. I was actually surprised how many people argued against us and called us ignorant and a bunch of other names. <laughs> yeah. And I really don't have evidence that Dante is going to make that play Let's say in the Peach Bowl that McKenzie makes where he makes a couple guys miss. He does that jump step and throws across his body. Dante didn't make that play. You know, Dante overpowered you or, or Dante ran past you. But with the chips on the table, everything on the line, when the games were their biggest, Dante played his worst games. And that's just me being honest. I, I don't want to say that, that he was a choker. But, I mean, if you look at it that way, maybe. And, and there was a lot of games. Go back and look at our records in 96 and 97 we were five and seven those years and not all of those losses were to Ole Miss and Nebraska and and South Carolina there's losses in there to New Mexico there's losses in there I think to uh like Ball State Dante didn't just lose all the big ones he lost some small ones too and to me that's a big difference between him and McKenzie McKenzie didn't lose games even his freshman year the games that we lost were to pretty good teams. He he did not lose to to crappy teams for a couple of years. So overall, I have to give it to McKenzie. Fair, oh, fair enough. Again, uh, so, so it, just to recap, Mike is not guilty of putting Ryan Schneider ahead <laughs> of Blake Bortles. That's where that's where they start off with uh, Gus Malzahn not guilty. UCF collectives are guilty. Uh, Hall of Fame um, in Mike's mind is guilty, and uh, and UCF Mike not guilty. Mike, that you've you've done a this is your first uh, time being a judge, I assume. I think you did a nice job. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. I've watched a lot of uh, Judge Johnny when we were back in college. Remember that one? I don't. don't I, I just... <laughs> I'll talk to you off the air about that one. No, fair <laughs> I know. I uh, <laughs> want we'll to, to work on that one out later. Uh, but uh, all right. Well, that's that's fantastic. If you disagree with Mike, that's fine. You can find Mike on Twitter at UCF Mike One, also on Instagram at UCF Mike, and make sure you're following all of our social media accounts. Mike, we're going to refresh all those accounts. Make sure we didn't lose any followers after that last segment, and uh, we'll take a bit of a break. But uh, coming up after this, we'll introduce uh, our next guest. Uh, who was a, a fun conversation to have. So everybody just sit tight. Uh, Mike's going to get his, his, his judge robe off, and I don't know if there's anything on underneath it. So let's all be scared together. This is UCF head football coach Gus Malzahn, and you should listen to the sons of UCF like your hair is on fire. Go Knights and charge on. 
All right, Mike, we are going to bring in our guest in just a second, but don't forget Manscaped is still a thing. It could still be a part of your life. Uh, again, if you go to their website, manscaped.com, they've got a lot of options there. The performance package 4.0, you get the lawnmower 4.0, you get a whole bunch of bundles uh, with that stuff, Mike, and you've got so many options, so customizable for that special man in your life. Ladies, if you're trying to get your husband something just because, you know, why not? He's a nice enough guy. Yeah, maybe it's a gag gift for a buddy. Maybe you got a bachelor party you're going to. You never know what you're gonna what you're gonna have to need this for. So, go to their website, manscaped.com. Hit Sons of UCF in the promo code. You get twenty percent off, Mike. That's twenty percent off on the lawnmower 4.0. Maybe the weed whacker. Maybe the crop preserver. Maybe the crop toner. Maybe the boxer briefs. Maybe the travel bag. It doesn't matter. Put it in your cart. Sons of UCF. Twenty percent off only at manscaped.com. You can't get a better deal than that, really. No, I tried to warn you people about this before Father's Day. You blew your chance then. Don't blow it now. You know what you need to do is just load up on a whole bunch of this stuff. We just mentioned of all the different products, the underwears, the crop preserver, all that stuff. Get a whole bunch of it. Have it in your, you know, keep it in your closet. And anytime somebody's birthday pops up, oh, man, I didn't get anybody. I didn't get this guy anything. Oh, wait a minute. Here's some crop preserver. Oh, wait, here's a weed whacker. And now you have gifts just to, to give out for somebody's birthday, you know, Father's Day comes around again next year, Christmas. There's always a reason. You always have something. If you're some, like me, I feel like I'm going to a birthday party every freaking week. So um, yeah, have have a little bit stashed away just in case. Everybody's going to love a Manscaped gift. The, the underwear is, is very comfortable and it's fantastic. The T-shirts are cool. You know, they're funny. So just grab a whole bunch of stuff. And if, the more you buy – the more you save, 20% off if you put in Sons of UCF in the promo code. All right. Can't beat any of that, Mike. So make sure you do that, Mike. Our guest this week is Brett Bell, who came to UCF as a tight end, switched to O-line, uh, was was there in 2018. So he joined uh, sort of the apex and the start of the Heupel era. And uh, his last season was uh, just this past season, uh, the first under Malzahn, when he decided at that point uh, to walk away from football and to focus on uh, on it's professional life, Mike. So maybe not a name you, you saw or you heard a bunch, uh, but you definitely recognize uh, his face. You definitely recognize his jersey number if you see it on the field. And uh, he told some really good stories, really good conversation. So uh, we're going to get out of your way. And uh, why don't you enjoy a little bit of Brett Bell? All right, let's bring Brett Bell in now. Brett, first off, thanks for taking some time to uh, join us on the show this week. Yes, sir. I'm glad to be here. Appreciate you having me. Let's start from the top. I know um, going through your bio, I know you spent some time at Kansas State. Then you were at a, at a, at a CC in, uh, in, in Kansas, and you were telling us off the top, you know, kind of your story. So kind of walk us through, how did you end up going from Kansas and getting all the way to Orlando at UCF? Yeah, so, I mean, the reason why I went to Kansas State out of high school, I was a pretty under-recruited guy, three-star. had Wyoming, Kansas State, and uh, KU on my offer list. Uh, KU ended up offering me kind of a weird deal, so I just chose K-State over them, being the hometown, like home state. Uh, played for Coach Snyder, got it. He got inducted in the College Football Hall of Fame when I signed. So like that second semester of my senior year, he was got inducted. So that was pretty cool to play for him. Um, I went there for a year. Then I was a gray shirt, so I didn't enroll until January. Um, ended up playing there on scholarship. It was a surreal time, you know. Being a, I, I was a red shirt my freshman year in 2016. It was technically my red shirt year. So started out there. I uh, traveled, went to Stanford. That was pretty cool. Just I was a Number three guy during camp, Coach Snyder was a traditional type of football coach. So he decided to redshirt me when I was running with the twos during camp that year. And 
it's kind of disappointing. That's kind of where it started, where I just kind of saw, I saw the writing on the wall during camp. They were going to redshirt me and then kind of just was young and naive and didn't take it the right way. I knew at that, at that point I was transferring because like a lot of the guys were telling me like, you should be in the rotation. It just, he just wants to keep you here. Like he still thinks you're a little undersized, which I was. So I ended up just leaving that December, um, did finals and went to the CC. Like I went to Juco, went to Hutch. Um, great time. I mean, I, I think I was at Hutch for about three months and that's when I started getting all the looks like that was when spring ball started. I got there in January. I got probably like five or six offers, Colorado, Arizona State, um, who else? There's a lot of Pac-12 schools and then like UNLV, some smaller schools. So I ended up committing in August before that season started. Arizona State, I was all in with that. Um, so that's kind of my, that's where my journey started at UCF. I, I had that Arizona State commitment in August. Um, ended up leaving uh, the JUCO because I got hurt. I hurt my foot. So that's when I actually got a medical redshirt. So that's why I still have, I played like seven years and I still have another year left. That year at Hutch after K-State didn't count as eligibility, even though I played for like three games. So mm. ended up leaving. Arizona State was okay with me leaving. So they went through that season and Coach Graham got fired. And um, what's his name? Um, Herm Edwards came in and he just mm. completely wiped out everyone. All the commitments left. Um, there's this guy named Speedy Naylor who played for Michigan State, a uh, pretty solid receiver. He was committed with me there, and, like, everyone ended up decommitting. They took a lot of guys' offers that were smaller guys, and all the other schools ended up taking – it was in December when that happened, so I didn't have any – all the, the Colorado offer or anything like that, UNLV. So I ended up being a preferred walk-on, and Coach Heupel reached out to me. Um, I, I come from a football family, so I had a lot of good networking. Blake Bell, my cousin, um, reached out to Coach Heupel because he saw he was a head coach at UCF recently. So um, Heupel reached out to me and offered me a preferred walk on UCF. And I enrolled in 2018 in January, and the rest was history. That's kind of how – that was my origin story to UCF. So. so did you see UCF before you said you'd go there? Did, were you at Orlando at all before you nope. agreed? No, I didn't wow. even see it one ounce of it at all. Did you like look it up I, on the internet or something at least? <laughs> at least hit the yeah, Google machine? yeah. I looked it up and I was like, I wasn't really too worried about it. I was kind of just sitting there. Like, I remember I had a moment with God. I'm like, God, I just had everything six months ago. Can I, I just want a chance to play football. Like I'm, I'm still 20 years old. Like, please, like, I don't want to be done. Like K-State and Juco was fun. Don't get me wrong, but I felt like I, I had more in me. So that was pretty awesome, but I never saw it. No, I just never had the time really. He called me a couple of weeks before I ended up going there. So, but it was a Tell little bit about... down a little bit when I got there. They've done a lot of improvements now, which is very impressive. So, tell us about Hypo, the the recruiter, right? So, just optics aside, from the sidelines, he looks like he's a little bit, you know, homely, right? He looks a little bit off shucks, you know, and yeah. snapped a whistle, you know, competing all three phases of the game. But what was mm -hmm. he like as a recruiter? What was he like as somebody when you're on the phone with him and he's telling you to come to UCF? What was that conversation like? Yeah, I mean, honestly. It's kind of funny because Coach Heupel, I mean, he gets a lot of good recruits, but he's not really a good, like, people person on the phone. I mean, I've known him <laughs> since I was, like, 11 because he came to official visits to my cousin's house when he was committed to OU. So I met him when I was real younger. But he's always just – he's a big film guy. Like, for example, I never had an official visit with him. My cousin did. And he had three – he just went downstairs for three hours that night after dinner and just watched film with my cousin Blake. Like, he's a real – he's not a real, like, personal guy. He's all about business, hard worker. But when he recruited me and, like, just, I mean, I can't really explain his recruiting because he never really recruited me. I mean, I kind of just knew him and he gave me the opportunity. But, I mean, he's a good guy. I mean, on the phone, I, he was actually at the Peach Bowl when he was talking to me. He's like, yeah, I'm actually in Atlanta right now. I'm at the Peach Bowl. I always remember that. But he was just 
real to the point guy. He always he told me everything that he had to offer. And then he's like, you know, your cousin played tight end for me at OU his last year, got drafted. He kind of just gave me this feel on the, that recruiting pitch of you could do this. Like the, I've done it with these other guys in my offense. So that was – and I remember a lot of guys told me they my cousin was brought up for his recruiting pitch as well for the tight ends. Kind of like I've done it before. I had this guy go fourth round. Like now he's been in the league for nine years. So – but yeah, he's, I mean, he's a great recruiter. You can see him now at Tennessee. So doing his thing there as well. So, yeah. So you hadn't been to Orlando, but obviously in 2017, UCF had a perfect season. You just said you, you were speaking to Hypo at the Peach Bowl. How much did the success of that season kind of influence you? Hey, I want to go to this place because they're, they're on top right now and they're a winning program. Yeah, no, I, it definitely did play into my decision. I mean, coming out of high school, UCF was 0-15. Like, I'm that old, and then now I'm going there, I have opportunity, and they went undefeated. I mean, it's pretty hard to say no to that, but in general, just for me, like, I was just kind of that walk-on guy. Like, I obviously preferred walk-on and got a scholarship quick, but I didn't even really look at it that. I was kind of just looking at the humble aspect of me just having a chance to go there, but that just added on to it, being in Orlando, being Disney World, all that, them being undefeated, and then I was a tight end, so I knew I had a great quarterback I could rely on. He's proved himself third I think he was third in the Heisman that year or something like that so all those things did play into it for sure and I definitely thought about that <clears throat> so we're heading into the big 12 now right you were coming over from Kansas State you got to practice with those guys for a year you saw the talent level how would you compare the talent level at Kansas State and then moving over to UCF where we had one of our best teams ever was there much of a difference or actually were we better um I mean I don't want to I don't want to, I'm going to be pretty transparent. I mean, a lot of the guys there were a lot bigger at, um, at Kansas State. I mean, one of the guys I went against on scout team my freshman year in our redshirt, it was a second round DN. So like, there's a lot of talent, but I will say this, and a lot of people continue to say this, that come from big schools that like, don't lie. It's like the skill guys at UCF that we had there and we have there now, or just outstanding better, or if not like, or the same, if not better than all the guys at the big power, even the guys we played against at K-State, they're better. So and then obviously 2018, I mean, those guys were out there. We were competing. I mean, there's a lot of dudes on that team that are in the NFL now. So I can't, I mean, it's hard to compare it, but I would say definitely they do. It's not like it's a big drop off at all, but it was just probably the side. There's just a lot of guys walking around at big power five schools that are six, six, that are just big bodies that, but UCF just had something different, kind of the, the ask the chip on their shoulder and real quick athletic. And then the talent level in Florida, obviously is just, the best there is so that was uh, that was something that i noticed real quick was just the talent level of everyone in high school there and just all the recruits coming out of there so yeah definitely i, I would say that it's it's pretty comparable for sure which is impressive take us back to that 2018 season so you're a walk-on right you're, you're on campus now what's life like as a walk-on uh, i mean was it you know was were you having to fight every day for your spot were you having to earn like earn your respect to, you know take us into that period of time as you first got involved in practice and, and, and getting ready for the season? Yeah, I mean, I definitely had a lot of respect just because of my name and kind of where I came from. So it wasn't like I was a typical walk-on. But, um, I mean, I definitely – it couldn't be that bad of a life when you just came off an undefeated season and everyone's treating you like royalty, like everyone's <laughs> all happy. It'd be different if you came to a team and you're a walk-on and, like, you kind of had a bad season or there's guys that are trying to prove themselves. So it was definitely a, a, a lot better experience than I've seen other walk-ons have at other schools. So – and, and then, like, the guys like Wyatt Miller, Hoodie, all those guys that just were there. They were big leaders. Jake Hescock even took me in. We were roommates, like, six months after I got to UCF. So, a lot of those guys played into it, too. Mac Laudermilk, I remember. So, I mean, I was definitely a guy that 
was kind of more looked at differently than most walk-ons. So it made my process and kind of my, my situation there a little bit easier. And it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be for sure. All right. So you start off as a tight end when you get there in 2018, right? Can you yeah. describe for us the role of the tight end in Heupel's offense, right? We think of the wide splits, like the explosive plays downfield, you know, the, the rushers up the middle that, you know, uh, AK or whatever gash for, for yards. What was the tight end's role in Heupel's offense? Yeah, I mean, he did a lot of H-back stuff. So, I mean, if you're a football guy, I mean, there's a lot of you motion going in the backfield, a lot of you split out. It's not a lot of traditional tight end things that I was used to at K-State. You don't have – I mean, very rarely you have your hand in the dirt with Hypo unless you're short yardage or you're down on the goal line. So, that was something that I kind of – I like that because you would be split out a lot. You'd have to know a lot of the receivers' routes and kind of have to know the motions and everything. So, it was definitely – it's a different – it's a different spot to play if you're not used to it. If you've, you've kind of been a traditional guy that's used to blocking, you don't really do too much of that. As you see, Kubiali thrived in that offense in 2018 because he was more of a quick guy, H-back guy, compared to guys like me and Hescock that didn't have too much production just because we didn't really thrive in that type of H-back position. Coming off the undefeated season in 17, there was a lot of talk of how we were still not getting the respect we deserved. And in 18, we, you know, we're running the table again. You guys following the rankings every week? Are you you're pissed off at where they're putting us every week? Is there any hope that you, we might make the playoffs? Yeah, I mean, in 2018, I think we kind of knew after the year before how it didn't happen. We kind of knew, oh, it's nothing's really going to change this year if it didn't happen last year. But, I mean, we never let it got – it never got to any of our guys like that. Our goal was always just to win every game. And obviously our motto that year was 1-0, so that kind of – answers your question right there. We we're kind of just focused on one week at a time, trying to do our best. And that's all we were, wor we weren't really worried about people. Oh, we're getting under, we're underrated or anything like that. So. A couple uh, a lot of blowouts that season, but a couple of really tough close games too. the, the Memphis games in particular, the one on the road, we're down 30 to what? 18 or, or yeah. 30 to 14, 16. And, and you know, that the Taj McGowan play, Gabe takes one to the house. What do you remember about that day and that comeback? Yeah, I mean, that was that was a pretty crazy game. That was probably one of my favorite games in my career. I mean, you add the aspect, if you weren't there at the game, of it raining and being cold. I mean, that whole aspect. And then we're also from Florida. So, I mean, I was used to it. But a lot of us aren't used to the elements like that. It wasn't just raining. It was cold. So, I mean, but that was a crazy game. Like that fourth and one play where Taj broke loose. Um, Tristan Hill, I think that we called that our bone package, where we had the big guy in there just running people over. And then he just busted loose. And then obviously KZ's dive in the end zone for that one touchdown. I can't remember like the scores or anything like that, but I should remember that was a big time play. Seeing him kind of put himself out there, like you knew that's KZ, that's your quarterback, and he's still gonna do that and put his team on the back. So that was that was an awesome game. I mean, can't beat that beating Memphis at, at their place. I mean, that was pretty and obviously twenty eighteen season, they were really good. So that was a good win for us. Yeah, that, that two-year run, Brad, we had a lot of memorable, game, memorable games at home. Uh, the year before, obviously, you get there, we have the, the game against the Cows. We have the championship game. But I don't yeah. know if there was a louder stadium in that 2018 game when Cincinnati comes to town. College game day's there, yeah. primetime game, 8 p.m. Take us on the field. How how loud was it? I mean, could you like, literally feel how loud it was in, in that in that first initial part of the game? Yeah, I mean, that was, that was definitely a game changer right there. I mean – there's a lot of mental things that go into football. And when you start off a game like that, Cincinnati, and that happening, I mean, I remember sitting on the sideline. There's not much to say. I mean, I just remember it was so loud. I'm like, okay, college game day's here. Like, it's pretty loud on the kickoff. We're all good. And then the defense goes out there. 
and it just keeps getting louder. And then the full start happens or the delay game happens and it just gets even louder. It's just like I, my ears were ringing. I couldn't really hear for like I couldn't hear my coaches talk for the next like five minutes. It's just like unreal atmosphere. I played in a lot of big places playing at K-State. So a lot of big a lot of fans, a lot of big stadiums. I mean, that was definitely the loudest in my whole career. I always talk about that all the time with the boys, just how crazy that was just seeing the look on their faces, like being on the field, seeing the Cincinnati offensive line, like they're just so scared, just how the environment just, you could tell it affected them. So that was, that was definitely awesome to see that. And just, that's a game changing moment having night nation there like that. Yeah. How big a deal is the, is the crowd noise? I mean, we, we always take pride in trying to pack a bounce house every week and, and have people there. I know sometimes students leave early and whatnot as players. Can you all notice that? Do you all feed off that energy when you look up and you're like, man, there's, like crowd today or man the crowd's really into it is that is that palpable for you all on the field yeah i mean it depends on how much you play i mean a guy like me i'm kind of more of the sideline guy trying to get everyone getting the morale going the veteran out there so i'm not a starter like the matt leads of the world and the cole snyders just being close to them they don't really think about that too much but i mean we will mention it be like hey it's kind of light out here tonight or no one's really sticking around but i mean it's definitely not something that that affects us at all but you will I was kind of spoiled with it coming in 2018 and really being packed out all the time. So I could, I definitely saw the downfall of the last, I mean, that for a year or two, but now it's starting, now that Malzon came back, I feel like it's back. To, I mean, COVID it hurt, it hurt a lot. That's really what the downfall was. So, sure. but I mean, yeah, I don't, I wouldn't say it affects us or anything, but you notice it. I mean, how do you not notice it, but it's not going to affect your game at the end of the day, you got a grown man in front of you. I mean, they're on scholarship. So, you just got to kind of just think of it that way. You don't really let that affect you too much. So we're rolling through that season. We're beating everybody up, a couple close ones. But then McKenzie gets hurt in Tampa. And really the feeling as a fan base is, oh, my God, what the heck's going to happen? Take us through that week leading into the championship game. You got to get a new quarterback ready. What was the, the feeling like of the team? And when we're down at halftime so much, I mean, is there any panic in the room at that time? Oh, when Casey got hurt at halftime after he got hurt, you said? Or is that what you're asking? Yeah, so going into the next game, the championship game against Memphis, yeah. you know, getting Daryl Mack ready to, to start. And then, yeah. you know, that game did not start off the best way. Yeah, I mean, it definitely – it wasn't too hot of a start. But, I mean, we kind of saw that coming. He, he had the jitters. I mean, what do you – he's in a championship game, first time starting, young guy too. It's not like he's been there for a while. I think he was a redshirt freshman. So, I mean, you got to play that into everything. And – most guys won't start off very hot anyways in that situation. So, you know, that's kind of coming as a freshman and he definitely, he shook it off. And I mean, it was pretty cool to see him come back. I mean, having Otis just ball out that game as well and have that risky throw that he threw over the safety and Otis caught it and scored. That was pretty cool to see. And I mean, but we all trusted DJ. I mean, at the end of the day, like we really, that was our guy. Like we knew he had confidence, like, we knew that he could do it. And obviously he's a big body too. So that always makes you feel comfortable having your quarterback be a big body. He can always run or he can take a sack and it's not going to really like, you're not going to kind of cringe, make, Oh, we might have the third string going. So we always kind of had that confidence in him and knew that we were on a run with Hypo's offense that we weren't really nervous at all. <clears throat> and then take us to the Fiesta bowl. Obviously the team hadn't lost in two seasons. And we end up losing to a very good LSU team, the team that went on the next year to win the whole thing. But uh, take us into the locker room after that loss. Guys have, are not used to losing in the program anymore. What's it like after, you know, we, we take one on the chin? Yeah, I mean, that was, that was definitely not an easy one to take. I mean, going all the way out there to Arizona for a week and kind of preparing, having that whole month, it definitely hurt a lot, everything we put into it. But, I mean, 
we knew we were playing against a good team. And then obviously that that panned out to be true. I mean, they won the Natty the next year, but we kind of knew that we lost to a great team and there wasn't really anything we could do. Gabe had a great game. I mean, there's a little inside information I could say. Like I remember Hypo a couple of times when it was crunch time, he'd just kind of go up to DJ and be like, just throw the ball to 13. He's like, just give it to 13. That's all that matters. Like I remember hearing that. I probably shouldn't say that, but I remember him saying that a lot towards the end, like just because Gabe was balling out that game. But I mean, in the locker room after, I, it's kind of different if – a bull game, you don't really see anyone because everyone goes with their families and everything. But, I mean, on the bus, it was definitely sad. But um, I just – I wish we didn't go out like that with the 2018 team. I mean, that team right there, there was a lot of characters on that team. I mean, that was like – we're all family. Like, I feel like a lot of those guys are like my brothers to this day. So, it, it did hurt to see it go out like that and kind of be sad. But we were also proud of just winning the, the American Conference Championship that year and just being out there and, and – and Phoenix kind of just celebrating after it was just, it was kind of just like, it was bittersweet, but we were also celebrating the whole season and kind of what, what they all did going from 0 and 15 to going back to back championships and going to the Fiesta Bowl and Peach Bowl. So it was a little bit both sides. I love Gabe and he had a great game, but he had one touchdown in his hand. They yeah. should have been called pass interference. The guy hit him, but yeah. he's got to come down with that one. Yeah. I know. Yeah, I know. I remember <laughs> His break that was right before his breakout year, so it was like I think that he did that on purpose almost so he could grind right before his breakout year. <laughs> yeah, he's doing okay for himself now. I think I yeah, think he'll no be doubt. just fine. Yeah. Uh, twenty nineteen rolls around, Brett, and you become an offensive lineman. Take yeah. us into that transition. How did it come about? Your idea, coach's idea, and obviously, you know, you said earlier you were used to sort of blocking and and you know mixing it up. But what 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 do you have to change about your your game and your body to adjust to being an offensive lineman? Yeah, I mean, that was crazy having to go make that change. But, I mean, it came with a lot of good things. I mean, I had a lot of playing time offered. Like, there was a good opportunity for me with that left tackle spot being open with Jake Brown leaving. So, it was kind of good for me. I think – I don't know if did it happen. Oh, it was before Jake Brown left when I moved offensive line. But that's kind of why they are doing it, so I could be, like, learn from him. But, I mean, the the weight that I had to gain in that offseason when I switched O-line was – it was crazy. I think I went from, like, 239 my January weigh-in to about 275, 280 in like June, coming back for summer weight. So I put on a lot of weight. It was a lot of like muscle weight too, cause I, I have a hard time eating. So I would just drink a lot of protein shakes and do, do it that way. Kind of just try to work out harder cause you always gain weight, just building muscle. So that's kind of just the route I took. It was a grind for sure. My first year playing O-line was kind of brutal. I was just a backup. I didn't really know anything, but then 2020 came around and I think I did a lot better and then we had a lot of injuries that tied in and I played a lot at tied in, but yeah, I mean, it was, it wasn't that bad. It's not any, anything too crazy. Like we go through a lot in college football, so it wasn't anything out of line. <clears throat> so it was the coach's idea. They came to you and asked you to, to change to O-line. Yeah. They, they just said, I hype will call my dad. And he just said, I mean, Brett's a freak at tied in. He's athletic, but he's like super, super athletic at, at offensive line. Just seeing him play. Like, I think that we, I think that would be a good opportunity for him and let's just try it out. And then after the first week of spring ball, I called my dad and said that. So it was kind of just a trial spring ball trial. Like if it, was, it went miserably bad, they're obviously going to move me back. Like there's no reason, but it worked out and I gained the weight really good. I put on a lot of good weight and did it pretty quickly. So it worked out and I played pretty good. So I'm not sure if this is the right question to ask. I mean, football is football. Was it fun? Did you enjoy that switch? Was it something that you were like, okay, I'm good with this? Or was it just to your point, an opportunity to compete and, and maybe get on the field? Yeah, I mean, 
it was definitely something that was not fun. I mean, I obviously wanted to be catching balls and kind of running routes and everything, but it was also just a team player thing. Like my job I have right now, that was one of the things I said in the interview. I said, I was a team player. I kind of didn't want to move to offensive line, but I just did it because I knew we had that need and I could still kind of move back to tight end and be that blocking tight end if I needed to. But we really had the need at tight or at offensive line, not tight end. So it just kind of, it wasn't fun, but it was just a team player type thing. I mean, that's just kind of how it is sometimes. But then I, I grew into something I got really good at and Phil Lodeholt played for the Vikings for a while. He came around and he was an offensive line coach for one year. He helped me out a lot. So it got better as time went on. <clears throat> So being an ex-tight end, do you ever get in the coach's ears every once in a while before a game and say, hey, you want to do a tackle-eligible play and hit me in the end zone for one of these? Yeah, we actually had a we had a play drawn up this year for uh, Cincinnati. I had, a, I had a tackle really – or not this year, in 2020. But uh, we never actually ran it because we got beat pretty bad. But, but I mean, they had a lot of – I mean, I had that one pass I dropped as a tight end back in the day. I think it was – 2019 when we played FAMU I dropped it in the back of the end zone uh Brandon Wimbush was actually one that threw that to me but yeah I mean I had a, I had a lot of plays drawn up they trusted me they just it's always how the coaches they have all these plays drawn up but they never use them so it's like you can't really get in his <laughs> ear during the game but I had a lot of I had a lot of options <laughs> all right so moving over the tight um, I'm sorry the offensive line it's something new for you obviously going up against a lot of talented guys in practice at UCF who which guy gave you the hardest time in practice um, I mean, the best player I went against who I really had a hard time against, honestly, is Drop, Tremont Morris Brash. I mean, he is an absolute freak. And I think sometimes it doesn't show in games because he has asthma and he gets real tired. And also the rotation is kind of hard. But I mean, Drop, if you see, if you could see his practice, I mean, when he's on one-on-ones, he is an absolute freak. Like there's some moves I couldn't, there's nothing I could do if I knew it was coming. There's nothing I could really do. But, I mean, drop was one guy, and then I was obviously a skinny guy for offensive tackle. So anyone that kind of did power rushes, Josh Selisgar, guys like that, uh, Brennan Hayes used to get me a lot back when I was real younger. But those type of guys kind of gave me problems. But I think drops slept on a lot by people, I think, for sure. Well, I think a lot of people – I didn't know until just now you told me that he has asthma. I, I think a lot of people just assume that he gets lazy sometimes. Yeah, no, he just – yeah, he just has a lot of problems. I mean – I think he even medical issues that go back to even high school. So I think that's just something that he's always dealt with. I mean, there's a lot of guys always had like, even Otis was like that. There's a lot of guys on the team now that might have sickle cell or something like that, that kind of just, you have to take them out and they just get tired, but that's just medical issues. The same thing as having a bad knee, but yeah, I think big cat was pretty good too, but drop was better. I, I, I had big cat in my head. You're probably expecting me to say that, but honestly, he wasn't really, I had to, I did a pretty good job against him. All right, so 2019 comes around. We lose the Fiesta Bowl, but obviously we haven't lost a regular season game in a long time. But the, the team is changing now at this point, right? McKenzie's going to be out. We know that. Daryl Mack is is presumed to be maybe the, the front runner for quarterback. He gets injured in the summertime. Brandon Winbush, you mentioned, he comes in from Notre Dame. And then the skinny kid from Hawaii comes flying in, right? As, a, mm-hmm. as an old lineman, obviously there's a bit of a quarterback battle, right, between the three of them. How did you see that play out from your perspective? Were you able to tell pretty quickly, like, hey, which of these three guys is going to be the guy? Or in your mind, were all three kind of neck and neck and, and Hypo had to make a tough decision? Um, I mean, I, from day one, when they were kind of competing in the spring, when it was kind of Winbush and Dylan were separating themselves, I – Coach Heupel said, he quoted or something, he said, um, Dylan Gabriel's spring practice was the best, or spring was the best spring I've seen since Sam Bradford when he was a freshman at OU. 
So that was kind of like eye-opening to me. I'm like, he's definitely going to start him then, but we'll see in camp. But Wimbush ended up taking away with it, and they was pretty even all throughout camp. But, I mean, I think Wimbush kind of just gave up the job. I'm, I could probably check that on media. I don't want to say anything, but I think Dylan just took over. But it was pretty fair. I think they're going to rotate, do rotation until someone separated themselves. But we kind of all knew Dylan from the start was going to be the guy for sure. And then we go to Pittsburgh, and uh, and again, one of those battles that we had on the road in, in those seasons where we're, we're down a little bit, we're not playing our best, but great comeback. Otis, you know, rest in peace, has a fantastic punt return for a touchdown. Momentum starting to shift, and then they yeah. run some some nonsense play in the goal line. Right, they score, they win the game. Our first regular season loss, you know, in that historic run. Y'all go back to the locker room. You're sitting down. What's said? Who's talking? Who's who's saying anything? What were the emotions like as you as you finally t- took the helmet off and recognized that the streak, quote unquote, was over? Yeah, I mean, I think it was definitely a, a big time thing for us at that time. I think it hurt a lot just going to Pitt. I think that's a big place to play, Power Five school. Um, it did hurt losing that way too. I remember like just that. I think they call it the Pitt special, but the Eagles mm-hmm. ran the year before, so. But I mean, in the locker room, it's honestly really, really quiet. It reminded me kind of like the Fiesta Bowl was just kind of real quiet. We didn't really know what to say. Um, a lot of the leaders stepped up. Like Dylan had an opportunity to be a leader. He stepped up and kind of just encouraged the guys. Hypo always did a lot of the talking as well. So, I mean, it wasn't as bad, but I mean, it was just disappointing. I mean, I remember just going in there. We had a lot of confidence, obviously, having that regular season streak. And just we knew that losing LSU was just kind of like, it, it shouldn't have happened. Like we still have that confidence in ourselves. So it really, it honestly was really shocking. I think that's probably why it's so quiet. It was just like the way it ended in the way that we thought we probably weren't going to lose. It's just all around pretty surreal. Was, was there any relief in any sense? Like, okay, finally, now this is, we can just focus on playing. Now we have to worry about the streak and the media and all this stuff. But is there a tiny bit of that, like at, at all playing in your mind? Uh, no, not really as a competitor. Like <laughs> obviously you just want to be the best. Like, I mean, you always always want to win, always want to kind of just have that name, like, oh, you guys were that team that went undefeated, had the streak. You want to keep that alive. So, yeah, it definitely hurt. But there's no, like, I'll take that all day if, if we're winning. I don't care. But but I remember there was one thing you brought up, Otis, after the game. Um, the special teams coach went up to Otis. He's like, I'm glad I don't have to deal with you anymore because I think that was Otis's last year. He's like, or I think this is the last time we're playing you guys. Like you're a freak, dude. Like there's no way we can prepare for you. And I think that's because he had a great game that game. But that was a yeah. pretty cool thing. I remember Otis telling us after. <clears throat> so a couple other tough losses that year. I think we lost three games by a total of eight points. The the Pittsburgh game, Cincinnati, and Tulsa. Pittsburgh, it's a non-conference game. You can put it past you. But those other two really hurt, especially the Tulsa game. I I still don't know what happened that day. We've never won in Tulsa. Why is it so hard to go into Tulsa and win a football game? I don't know what it was. Obviously, the weather played into it. I mean, being 30 degrees, a lot of the guys from Florida never been out of Florida. So that one hurt really bad for me, especially. I, I played a decent amount in that game in the 12 personnel package. I was on the goal line for a touchdown one time, and uh, I'm obviously from Wichita, Kansas. So I had like 40 people there from my whole family all back home about two hours from where I'm from. So that one hurt bad, but like, it wasn't as bad because I saw them there after and they haven't seen me play really that much. So that was cool. But I don't know. It's just we were playing. It was just really cold. Dylan didn't have that good a game. Dylan got hit. His helmet came off. That kind of like shook him up a little bit, lost our momentum. And just they were playing. They were doing everything right that game. And there's nothing like we could really do. It's just the way you can't really blame it on the weather. But that was the main reason why we didn't have our momentum 
at the beginning, we couldn't just we couldn't get anything going. After the Cincinnati game, really, Hypo came out and said, you know, they, they showed us a defense that we were not prepared for, we had never seen before. But what was it? Why, why didn't we make any adjustments? Did we just stick stubbornly to the same game plan? Was there nothing changed at halftime in each of those games? Yeah, I mean, I think he's pretty he's pretty stubborn on his game plan. And he thinks eventually it'll work, or if there's little niches or grooves that are working, he'll just go to that and just kind of keep trying to pick out different things from his offense. But, I mean, we always game plan at halftime. Obviously, there's some, some things that we're doing good as the run game working. What's working in the run game? Should we air it out more? What are we doing wrong? But, I mean, honestly, it was just kind of how we played. It wasn't really – had nothing to do with adjustments. It was just key plays or key mistakes that we made that kind of just ended up in the long run making us lose the game. I mean, Cincinnati, They, I, I remember that game. That was a pretty loud – that was my most – easily the loudest away game I ever played in. I was in the 12 personnel a lot. and. I don't know. They seem pretty soft. Like they're always the linebackers were running away from me when I was trying to block them. They didn't want any part of the contact. So it was just kind of I don't know what happened. We just couldn't put it together and just had some mistakes and turnovers that hurt us bad, especially in Cincinnati. Well, you mentioned this earlier. So if I could uh, just ask you this question, sum up the 2020 season in three words or less, what would you say? Uh, I would say. Three words or less. I would just say like two words would be like reality check just for UCF. I feel like we were just living in this fairy tale world, always winning, always having everything go for us. And then 2020 hit and it's just like, damn, like we're not doing good at all. COVID hit us. COVID hurt us really bad. I mean, for me personally, too, it was a reality check because I mean, I didn't really play that much. I didn't play the first. I missed all of camp and didn't really play even travel the first three games didn't even go to Georgia Tech so like for me it was pretty crazy and then I think game six or something uh Alec Haller and Jake were both kind of hurt Alec for sure hurt his ankle and I started playing a lot I went from not traveling to being like a key guy and like rotating in a lot played a lot against Houston so I mean it was just a big reality check for us like we're on the top of the world and we're finally like this is a normal season like you can kind of justify the three losses in 2019, obviously 2018, it's just like 2020 was like, wow, like we're like back to like six and six. This isn't good. But I mean, I think last year we bounced back really well with the new coach and everything. And everyone kind of just forgot about it and put it behind them. I mean, and this is probably a tough question to answer, but what what happened? I mean, obviously we know COVID was was a whole thing, right? I think everybody, you know, was in a different mind space at that point in their lives. Football players, non-football players, just as just as humans, right? We're all in a weird spot. We saw the little, you know, what I don't know what you want to call it, the dust up between Obarski and Quadri and the sideline against Memphis. Late in the season, a bunch of defensive guys end up going out, getting getting in trouble with, with law enforcement. They get kicked yeah. off the team. What 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 happened? Was it just a to a lack of focus, a lack of discipline? Just everybody sort of frustrated with the situation. If you had to just pinpoint like, hey, this is where I think things went wrong. Do you have any idea what that was? Yeah, I mean, I think the whole Quadri thing was just Quadri being just young and naive and kind of just not being mature about the situation. I mean, obviously, we're humans. Emotions get the best of you. And he just didn't know how to react. And I think it was just one of those things Quadri said. That's all he does at practice. He just kicks the ball. Like, why can't you just kick the ball and make it? So I think that's what he said. And it just kind of got under Obarski's skin and he kind of latched and just, it was all on camera. So like national TV, that doesn't help. I mean, right. if that was on camera, nothing, no one even talked about it. it like it, it obviously exposes us because you know, that's how the locker room is. And it was kind of bad after that, but that just shows kind of the reality check of like, Hey, we're not on, we're not doing good now. We're not winning. Like that's when everything winning's the best deodorant. Cause like, this is when all the problems show up. Like now that we're kind of a real team reality check, like 
now what's going to happen? So you saw some things like that happen, but we bounced back from it. I mean, I don't think it was that big a deal. And then the guys going out and kind of doing that, that whole situation, I don't know how to comment on that, but it was just kind of them. I don't, I don't even know really why they're out or doing all that that night, but I guess we were playing Houston that week and I was like one of my best games of my career actually after that happened. But I mean, that was just kind of one of those things. I mean, a lot of those guys came from really some bad areas. So it's like, you can't really blame them. That's kind of just how they're, some of them are where they came up and that's kind of what they do. And they're sometimes scared. Like one of, one of those guys, his dad got murdered. So, I mean, they're probably just paranoid, maybe just keep a gun. Like that was just kind of childish of them driving like that. Nothing would have came up if they weren't speeding around. So that's just kind of one of those things comes with kind of comes with the environment, but I wouldn't say I would judge those guys too bad. I mean, a Rob who was with them as a first rounder. So didn't work out too bad for him. I think it was just kind of wrong place at the wrong time. <clears throat> that season, obviously it's COVID. You're not supposed to be going out. Everybody's staying in a bubble. Did you know guys were going out? Were there other guys that were going out and just kind of keeping it secret and not really getting in, in trouble like this? Or was everybody yeah. pretty much locked in? Yeah, I forgot about that completely. That does play into it a lot. It's definitely no, I think about it very childish. I mean, it's a Wednesday night. I think it was a Wednesday night. Like, that doesn't even make any sense. I get we don't have a hard practice Thursday and Friday, but it's like, that's kind of ridiculous. But, yeah, no one was really going out. We were pretty pretty good about it. We all, the guys that really cared about playing would not go out. Some guys that never played or walk-ons possibly would be in the COVID watch and kind of be two weeks quarantine if they got found going out. Or, obviously, if you're going to go out, you're going to get sick. So, it's going to come about. And we wanted to play. So, I was definitely a guy that didn't go out. Um I kind of had some things happen where I was just like not trying to do any of that. I didn't want to go out, get in trouble, get sick or anything. My aunt had died from COVID. So I just was kind of just worried about it. And also it's like, I'm playing college football, I'm on scholarship. Why would I waste this opportunity by going out on the weekends? Like I can, I can stay home for this one season and then the off season figure it out and see where it go from there. But yeah, we were pretty disciplined about it. All right. I got to know this. Hypo play calling, the way they get the plays in so fast, is it a set order? You guys know what the next three plays are? Does it depend? Okay, if this play hits, we're running it again. Is there a lot of those? Or how do you guys know exactly to get how to get the play in so quickly? Yeah, I mean, he would have a couple of things. I mean, there would be some packages I would be on. It would be like a speed series. So you'd memorize four plays in a row, and you got to know what you're doing on those four plays. But sometimes it would be like, all right, we're going to run this one play. If it does bad and the second play does bad, then we're not going to run the third play. We're going to take you out. Or if the first play, like one time was a Jay Flash when he caught that pitch and ran real far down the field. I don't know if you guys remember that play, but that was part of the speed series. But, like, he would have things like that. But I don't want to expose Hypo too much, but his signals are just very quick. The easiest way to put it is the signals were quick. So you had to be pretty intelligent. It's like this right here is a whole play, formation play everyone you know who's in it's like it's just one of these things or and it's like left side right side two of them so it's just like that was really the main basis and then you got to just go quick like in practice i'll get yelled at a lot for just not getting down in my stance and things like that but yeah that's interesting the third down part because i think a lot of fans always had frustrations with third down like third and like five or greater it seemed like more times than not we were just going to run something up the middle you know get two or three yards and, and then punt away was that by design because at that point the series had sort of broken down and you know at that point it was like okay let's plan for the next series yeah and he would kind of change up his game plan a little bit and maybe just want to run the ball i mean he he did like running the ball in third and short a lot he trusted elevy i mean he was one of the best offensive line coaches out there so i think he just trusted the run game in some of those situations yeah and also yeah it could be 
there's a certain way it was going and maybe it's just time management or whatever. We're just going to punt it if we don't get it here and just run the ball. So, yeah. Uh, so obviously 2020 was just a, a rough year all around. It ends with a really bad loss in the Boca Bowl. You guys are probably head back to Orlando, licking your chops, getting ready to, to get the 21 season started. And then one day you're sitting around. I don't know where you are. I'm not sure what's going on, but maybe your phone goes off. Maybe it's on ESPN. Maybe it's one of these college football guys. But Hypo the Tennessee rumors start circulating. Where were you when you first sort of heard that that was a possibility? And how were you made aware that, yeah, that's actually true? He was leaving to go to Tennessee. Yeah, I mean, it's a pretty funny story how it happened. We were all on a Zoom, the whole entire team, like this. And it was kind of one of these events we have, like some foundation comes in. It's like teaching us something like how to talk to the media or blah, 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 or how to do NIL deals. So we just had one of those Zooms. Everyone was in there and it was all happening. It was like an hour long. So we, we weren't allowed to look at our phones. They were really mad. Like they would make us focus. So we had no idea the whole entire time. And then like I saw Dylan leave and I saw a couple other people leave and then Smitty, our guy, uh, I think player development guy just got on. He goes, yeah, ma'am, we're going to have to end this session. Um, we have an emergency team meeting right now. And then like everyone just started leaving and we had to go straight to the team room. And that's like, so we kind of were, we didn't really see it. We'd never heard about it until it happened because we were all doing that Zoom. I mean, some people probably did, but I know I didn't. And your reaction was? I mean, I was pretty disappointed just because I know him personally, and I was kind of sad that he didn't tell me or anything. And I think I was growing a lot in the offense. I had my best year in 2020, and I was just kind of like looking to build on that for two more years with him and see where it takes me. But him leaving kind of really killed me, and I really just like – wanted to quit for a while and then I just stuck it out for one more year to see if I liked it with the new coaching staff and then kind of just got burnt out. So that's why I foregoed my last year. But yeah, it was definitely heartbreaking. And I remember a lot of the guy, I mean, I think it doesn't really matter now, but I remember Dylan didn't even show up to the meeting or even like say goodbye to Hypo or anything. So a lot of the guys had hard feelings. Did you ever get a chance to talk to him since, since then? Have you had a chance to hash it out or at least anything to him? Um, I have not talked to Heifel since, but I have, I mean, I think he's, we're still in good terms. There's nothing like, I don't hate him. I know it's a business, all that. And I mean, I have not reached out to him though since, but I'm sure I'm, I'll have to catch up with him here soon, but yeah, nothing, nothing really, but it's, our relationship wasn't really like that. We're just real text guys. I probably texted him after a Tennessee game a couple of times, but I've never really talked to him about that. There's no hard feelings. So what's the reaction like after that? Everybody? I, a lot of guys on the team were kind of pushing for Jeff Levy to be the next coach. And we come in and we hire Malzahn anyway. So yeah. What's the reaction of the locker room? Were you one of those guys that wanted Levy? Yeah. And how did you take it. it? I tweeted it. And a lot of the guys said like, hey, man, we probably shouldn't be doing this because what if he doesn't get hired? And it's going to make us look really bad to, like, to the fans, to everyone. So like we were kind of some guys started backtracking. And then some guys like me were like, no, it's going to happen. Like we're not going to think negatively. We're going to get our guy. And then. It didn't work out, but it was like, I was thinking in my head, I'm like, it was all Levy, Levy, Levy. I'm like, I never had a chance to think of who I wanted. And I'm like, I would want a big time guy. I would want someone from a big time school, like who has a pretty big notoriety. And that's exactly who we got. So that was, that was pretty cool. And what was the Malzahn like in person when you finally got to meet him? Did it kind of, uh, did he convince you right away that he was the guy for the job? Uh, I mean, yeah, he was just real professional. He reminded me of Coach Snyder. I mean, there was not really too much convincing at the beginning. We didn't really see him too much. It was just kind of that dead period of college football where he was just doing recruiting or doing his thing as the new head coach. So we only had a couple meetings with him. But I really got to know Herb Ham really well, and I really liked him. And I kind of know 
you don't really link with your head coach too much. You're mostly with your position coach besides like on game day and kind of team meeting. So I really liked him and I was really excited about it. And then Malzahn won me over for sure in the spring, just giving me a lot of praise and kind of, I was like the best tackle besides Sam Jackson getting a lot of the praise in the meetings. So that was, he definitely won me over on that for sure. Well, it appeared at least, and this is just, you, you said fan reaction. So I'm inter- interested that you said that, how much hey, you guys were thinking through like what the fans are going to think. But I mean, the, the move for college kids, unfortunately, right. You know, is you don't like something you go to social media, right? So some people took all their UCF stuff off social media. Some people, you know, weren't responding to stuff, right. How long do you think yeah. it took the entire team to really kind of buy in and go, okay, you know what? It's not Levy. It's not the guy I wanted, but, but Malzahn's here and it's good enough. So, like, how long do you think before you felt like, okay, we're all clicking on the same page? Yeah, I think it was just kind of some of the guys he was bringing in, like GJ, I think, kept Dylan around. I mean, he just brought in the defensive coordinator from Auburn. I think he was actually at Miami, um, Coach Williams. So there's just a lot of big-time guys coming in, a lot of transfers coming in. I think that's also what it was. So we're like, all right, well, at least we're getting a pretty good deal out of it. We're getting a lot of good guys, a lot of good coaches. That's what matters. So I think I think after a while it kind of set in and all that hype thing was over with and kind of everyone was bought in and we knew Dylan was coming back. That's kind of – just how it happened. We just, we just liked who they brought in and the spring ball went well. So you were in a battle for, for that left tackle spot for that, for that whole sort of off season leading into, into camp. What, what was that like? I know you and Marcus Tatum, we had Marcus on the show, super nice guy, by the way, what, yeah. what was that battle like between, between you and is it weird? You're battling a teammate, probably somebody you like, somebody you spent a lot of time with, somebody you respect. There's only one spot though. Take us inside sort of that, that, that spring and that fall campus battle. Yeah, I mean, me and Marcus are really close. He's he's a real funny guy. I always like to mess with him and just prank him and joke with him. But, yeah, he's definitely a cool guy. I mean, I think I was everyone was a little bit shocked because when Coach Hand got there and spring ball started, I was actually number four on the depth chart behind Paul Rubon. So it was, like, really far back at left tackle. And then three practices went by, and I went all the way up to number one. Marcus Tatum got COVID, so that's why I went to number one past Ed after, like, probably a week of spring ball. And then I had the whole number. I had the number one spot the whole time. A lot of the coaches, even during camp, came up to me and they're like, "Hey, they asked us to pick our top eleven on each side, and you were on my top eleven. So, like, I had a really good spring. I had the position, but Tatum just wasn't there because of COVID. Besides, like, the very end and spring game. So, we knew it was big for camp, like our competition, and it went down to the very end. The last scrimmage was like kind of the last deciding factor, and. I kind of just didn't have a very good scrimmage assignment, like assignment wise. I had some missed assignments and he did it. And I mean, a lot of people think that think that I didn't get a fair chance or anything during camp. But I mean, I think it is what it is. Like, I'm not going to sit here and say like, I didn't, I should have started. Like I think Tatum, he balled out, he deserved it. I mean, and it worked out for him, but I mean, you could say what you want. I mean, it was a competition brings out the best in everyone. So that's just kind of how it happened. I wish I would have rotated in maybe this year, but it didn't work out that way. So. So this past season, uh, new head coach, new everything. And then we have this ESPN Plus series, Our Time, following everybody around. What was that like? Did it? Did guys act differently because they knew they were on camera? Were, were you mic'd up at any point? What was that whole process like leading into the season? Yeah, I think it was definitely different, having the camera everywhere. And, like, we would have the camera in there for position meetings, and that was kind of a little bit different. But – I would say you would, I was never mic'd up, but there would be always a guy around me mic'd up in the O-line or something or one of my buddies. And it would just kind of, you wouldn't be able to be yourself almost. You couldn't really talk the same. So yeah, people definitely did act differently, which is kind of weird. Cause it's like, you think that's more NFL stuff. Like there's cameras in the NFL, guys can't talk, but like kind of brought it, made it more professional. So we kind of had this like, not really talk 
like we normally do because the cameras are on. But it was definitely added a cool aspect to it for sure. It made it seem pretty cool to be able to watch it every week and things like that. So the season kicks off. We go down 21 nothing right away to Boise. But then, you know, we recover. We come back. We win that game. We look good against Bethune. I think that we're going to start rolling. And then we have that tough loss in Louisville, the, the last second interception return. And then the loss at Navy where we blow a 14-point lead in the fourth quarter. How do you kind of keep things from going completely off the rails following a couple of tough losses like that? Yeah, I mean, that was pretty That was pretty crazy. I mean, I think the Louisville, Louisville kind of is where everything started and everything kind of started to fall off because we lost that and Dylan got hurt and we all heard on the way back on the plane that he broke his collarbone or so he was pretty much out for the season. So after that, we kind of lost hope. We were like, we only got – we don't have anyone like DJ. I mean, we had Mikey, who's, I think he's a true freshman, right? I mean, that's pretty bad. I don't know that. But I think we just didn't have as much confidence as 2018 when he lost KZ. And it was kind of later in the season with KZ. So guys more developed and knew the offense better, ins and outs, and just were playing better at the end of the season, obviously. So it definitely hurt us being game three and that happening. But Mikey came in and bowled out. And I mean, I, it didn't really have any effect on me. All I did was play field goal. So, but I mean, the guys took it really well that we're playing. And I think we took in Mikey really well and he played really good in the, that offense this year. Yeah. I mean, all, all told, I mean, uh, you know, a bad loss at, at Cincinnati, a bad loss at SMU. I mean, Mikey played his role was, was the offense sort of shifted or adjusted after he came in? Was it kind of scaled back a little bit to, to fit more of maybe what he does better to, to make it kind of more simple for him as a true freshman? Yeah, it was definitely, definitely adjusted. Yeah, they they made it around Mikey. They kind of adjusted the offense, did little tweaks to it to make it easier for him as a freshman. Kind of had a little bit more protection in certain situations. I mean, the O-line, Coach Malzahn, everyone came in our room and would always say, like, it's up to you guys. Like, you got a lot of veterans. It's up to you to protect Mikey, make him comfortable. So it was just a lot of us stepping up around him. All right, so uh, three letters I want to say to you, and I'm curious to get your your feedback, your opinion on them. N-I-L. Obviously, it was sort of a newer thing in, in this uh, this last season, your last season. Look, as fans, we were all losing our mind over things, right? And, you know, people are too focused on this, too focused on that. It seemed like 19 guys had apparel and design companies and their own shirt companies, and everybody had their own logos, right? So as fans, we're assuming that this is super distracting. Y'all are too focused on, on N-I-L stuff. But you were in the locker room. You were around your teammates. How big a deal was N-I-L? How much was that really talked about from, from a team perspective? Yeah, I mean – that was a big time thing for that summer, right before July 1st, like literally right now, last year, we had a lot of meetings like every day and we normally never have meetings in the summer like that. So felt like camp a little bit, just compliance prepping us, everyone prepping us, kind of making sure that we have this app on our phone so we can turn in every deal we have and make sure it's legal. So compliance sees it. So there's just a lot of things and it was so new. Malzahn just kept saying, this is so new to me. So we're going to work it out as we go. We don't really know what's coming so new. So, they definitely helped us out as much as they could, but it was just so crazy. It was just everyone coming at you for all these deals. A lot of people getting all, it was just, it was pretty crazy because it was so new, but I think it's going to change the game a lot. Obviously I have a lot of opinions on that for sure. Well, how, how do you think it'll change the game? You think it'll be for the better or for the worse? I mean, I think probably for the worse, just cause it's going to like kind of break apart locker rooms and like, I don't know, the whole college athlete thing is like, it obviously sucks like you're not getting paid and you're making your school millions but like that's kind of the grind that's what it is and like you're all laugh about it and you're all in it together but now it's not really like that anymore it's just going to be like guys like me grinding still and then like guys like so and so who are making all these deals with car dealerships or 
they have these deals with whoever, someone, Cocoa Beach, or like, just it's a lot of things out there that could change the game, like six-figure, seven-figure deals. It's like, you're going to look at someone differently if they have all this money and you're just sitting there still struggling, like barely eating. So I think that would change the dynamic a lot in college football, just in the locker rooms. That's just me, my perspective of it. Like just this one year kind of seeing guys make more money. It kind of, you can tell in the locker room a little bit, people treat people differently and people talk behind people's back that you would never hurt, like think would do before. So that kind of opened my eyes this year for sure. Well, speaking of talking about guys behind their back, I don't know if it happened or not, but, the end of the year, Dylan Gabriel seems like he's cleared to play. He's warming up before the, the USF game. Everybody thinks maybe he's going to make a comeback. Decides not to play in that game. Decides not to play in the bowl game. What's the feeling in the locker room? Where, where, did anybody say anything to him about it? Maybe people think that he quit on the team? Anything like that? Um, no, I think we just thought he was taking like precaution, like trying to come back as slow as possible because we knew he's a good player and he didn't want to ruin his career and kind of like do anything too quickly. But also, a lot of the guys are just uneducated. I don't think people really knew how if he could have come back. I mean, I knew. Obviously, you kind of have to know because people talk about it. But, like, we thought maybe he's just healing slower. Like, every everyone's different with different injuries. So, But towards the end of the season, you're kind of wondering. But no one really said anything, and no one was really, like, taking it bad. It was just kind of like, okay, maybe he'll come back for the bowl game. That will be perfect. And that never happened. And then once that happened, there was some talks about him leaving, and we kind of all knew at that point. That's It all came to fruition is, like, oh, we're not mad anymore because now at least there's, like, a reason. Like, we knew you are kind of trying to leave. So it wasn't really that. There wasn't too much in the locker room going around. I would just say too much. There's a lot of NIL situations, but nothing like that really, no. All right, then talk to us a little bit about the bowl game. Obviously, it's a big matchup for us playing Florida. You know, it's in Florida. We got half the stadium there full of UCF fans. We're loud, going crazy. It's a big game for us. How big was it for you guys going into the game and then afterwards? Yeah, I mean, that was pretty huge. I remember Coach Herb, I mean, he was saying all the time, all week in the hotel, like, let's shock the world. Like, no one thinks we're going to beat them. Everyone thinks we're going to lose. Like, let's just go out there and play. Like, just do it for all the seniors, all these guys. Like, I had told Coach Herb that I wasn't going to play anymore. So there's a lot of seniors like me, Cole Schneider. So Josh McMullen, we all just wanted to go out with a bang. Like, we're a brotherhood at that point. That O-line room is the closest I've ever been. Like, so Herb just kind of came into that, and he just – he knew that he felt that. So he just, that's all we were preaching about all week. So, and then after when it happened, I mean, it was like the best feeling ever. We we're crying with everyone. Um, just hugging. It was, it was so surreal to seeing O'Keefe do that. That's God right there. Just doing that for Otis. Like that's just, it was all set in stone before the game was even started. Like it was all going to come down and it was just crazy how it happened. And it just felt surreal, honestly, the whole time. But yeah, it was definitely an awesome opportunity to be able to beat that in-state rival with Florida kind of prove ourselves well, you mentioned it. You, you had another year of eligibility if you wanted it you had decided um it sounds like right before the bowl game that you were gonna you were gonna not take that then i saw you post on social media you were kind of reconsidering maybe maybe coming back maybe going back to transfer but it sounds like you've you're at peace with your decision now that your college football days are over yeah i mean i have a couple people still hitting me up but i mean coach gj kenny wanted me to go down to san antonio and play for him and then a lot of schools in Missouri hit me up some D2s. But, I mean, I guess I was I was still on the table probably about two weeks ago, and I decided no like two weeks ago because I knew it's kind of come down the line and, like, I couldn't wait too long and put these schools, like, make them save the scholarship. So I just decided. So I just moved back home, and kind of that was it. Just left Florida. 
but yeah, for a long time, I thought I was going to go play for Incarnate Word, but just ended up not following through with it. Just I have a really good job right now for the sales company, and my cousin got me the job. So, I mean, it was just a great opportunity, and I just figured I would take it and just kind of see where it went, and I'm doing really good in it. So I just kind of didn't really want to do the small D1 anyways. I thought that ending at UCF was kind of just perfect, So, and I was just burnt out, so I decided not to. Yeah, I was going to ask you, can, how, how would you sum up your UCF career, right? You, you came in at the highest of highs, right? The 2020 season sees a bit of a dip, and obviously you're, you're there as and things kind of come back on the upswing. If you had to kind of describe your UCF career to somebody, how would you describe your time in Orlando? Yeah, I mean, I think it was just a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. I mean, just how, how it happened, how I got to show up after the undefeated season, kind of go through that whole entire awesome streak with Hypel, his first time being a head coach just it started off really hot and then kind of had some downs but I mean overall I think it was just a great experience I mean I it's hard to describe it honestly it's the best time of my life moving out to Florida I met a lot of great people a lot of great coaches a lot of coaches came in and out so that's a lot of just great people I have and families their families so I think overall it's just like it's a great experience I mean anyone any kid that's kind of decided where to go I I feel like Orlando like Everyone gets all hyped up in all the like SeaWorld, all Disney, all the beaches. But I think just Orlando and the people there in general are just awesome. Like you can't really beat that campus and just UCF in general, all the the UCF mafia, Twitter mafia, everything like the fan base. It's just pretty sick place to be at. It's one of the biggest schools, too. But I think honestly, it's just surreal. I think I'm just lucky that I was able to even go there and play. It's, It's hard to describe. I can't really put anything, any words on it. All right. Well, before we end every interview around here, we do uh, we do a little rapid fire question. So, Brett, it could be anything about music, movies, sports. You never know what you're going to get. So well, we've got some uh, some hot rapid fires if you're ready. All right. Sounds good. All right. So Josh McMullen clued is all into the thick fellas tattoo thing y'all had. Can, can you confirm or deny that you are rocking a thick fellas tattoo? Yeah. And you want to see it or what? <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I'm not really sure. Okay. Yes, I do. Okay. You can edit okay. it out if it's not live. <laughs> no, I'll, I'll keep it yeah, in. All of us got it on the time. same spot. We all okay. got it on our thigh. Um, it was just kind of those one of those things, the good fellas, all the O-line got it. Not all the O-line, but a lot of us. It's kind of you had to be like jumped into it almost. You had to do like some certain things and be a certain personality. But it was just kind of like our brother brotherhood, like Matt Lee, Cole Snyder, me. Jake Hescock, Josh McMullen, Eric Seidelman, Mason Chaliwa, a um, couple other guys that are on the team, but we all kind of just have the thick fellas, just kind of like a mindset, just like the thick boys. Like we're not afraid. We're not afraid to be big. Like we're just the big dudes out there. It came from the movie Goodfellas. So it was all job. I was actually the last member to join it. So I can't really give you too much history on it, but. Yeah. I was going to say, so that's not what I want to know, Brad. I want to know who was the scaredy cat. Who was the guy who wouldn't get the tattoo? Um, who was it? Um, Jake Hescock was the one. That's who it was. Yeah. I know Marcus I mean, told us he did not get one because he transferred in and felt like he wasn't part of the of the group. Yeah, I mean, Marcus or Sam weren't a part of it because it was kind of like just a different thing that, I don't know, they decided. It was more of like a Mason Chuliwa and Cole Schneider thing. So some guys may think they're in it, but you have to get the tattoo to be in it. Be in it. <laughs> it's it's fair a group no. chat. Yeah, you have to rules are rules. It. No, rules are rules. I, I respect it. Yeah. For sure. So looking at your bio, you're listed at what, 6'6", 300 pounds. But looking at you on video, you don't look like a 300 pounder. Have you lost a lot of weight since football yeah. season? Yeah, I probably weigh like 
250, 245 right now. I've just been working out and running a lot. So I was just trying to get a lot of weight off of me. It was just, so, it was kind of annoying being that big. When you're trying to bulk up and you're just trying to add weight, what's your favorite food to cheat on that you kind of, you can put away a bunch of? Um, I mean, if you're trying to gain weight, like for real, it's just protein shakes. You just got to have big protein shakes. But like my go-to thing for sure was like, it's probably not good, but I would eat a lot of like, I would work out a lot. And then my cheat meal or my meal, if I needed to put on weight for a weigh-in was Huey Magoo's, like the hmm. the sweet heat. The I would get like the seven piece and then get like double fries. Like that would usually get me right where I'll get two meals. But that was all. I could always eat a lot of that, even though I hated eating, <laughs> sadly. <laughs> You mentioned that you like to play uh, pranks on Marcus Tatum. Can you tell us the funniest uh, prank you played on him? Um, I would probably, I would just do like mischievous stuff. So he would be in a different locker room than me because he didn't want to. I don't even know if I should say this, but he didn't get vaccinated, so he had to be in a different locker room. But um, I would always like take his cleats or like he was always a big hair guy, obviously with his dreads. He'd always have some conditioner he put in his hair on like away games, and I would always take it like. Just a mess. I wouldn't do it on game day, but I always mess with him like on the traveling. He would always think he'd forget it. And then I would just—he was a big car guy too, so I'd always scare him with his car and do different things in his car. But I mean, I'm just pretty much a prankster in practice a lot too. Like I'll mess with him a lot in practice when he's tired, and like I won't be as tired. It's just funny to mess with. All right, I'm gonna ask you a couple: Malzahn or Hypo? You tell me what the correct answer is. Who's the funniest guy? <laughs> Malzahn. <laughs> <laughs> he has jokes at least or, no, or just hypo's just not funny at all he's just funny i think he's like just tries to be funny and he's not but just his personality is way more funny than hypo <laughs> <laughs> all right so who would you rather hang out and have a beer with is that malzahn i guess for that reason no i would say hypo but i'd just say hypo's just more serious but he's also like i would probably not want to drink with malzahn he's a pretty professional guy all right all right and who wins in a fight uh hypo for sure have to give that to him got too much weight right yeah <laughs> and he's he's an athlete i don't care if you got a dad body he's still an athlete so you have to take that <clears throat> I mean, did you ever throw the ball like... in practice what you ever see hypo throw the ball around in practice yeah he would do the fat and goes on friday so all the o-line would catch balls from him and ellerby every friday so you could see that he had a pretty good spiral uh, mazan's a tough guy he took a pretty good hit from quadric this year though I mean, he can he can he can take a blow at least no yeah, I know. That was pretty crazy. I I can't believe that happened. I was I was shocked. I didn't know it was that bad either when he couldn't even really walk. So, yeah, he's definitely a southern tough guy. He's got that toughness in him for sure. All right, I got a couple of O-line questions for you. So, number one, if they legitimately called holding every time there was holding, how many holding penalties would you have had in your career? I don't know. I probably wouldn't have that many. Only times I would really get – I'm a pretty, like, explosive guy. I wasn't that strong on bench press, and I wasn't that heavy. So I was, like, I would always come off the ball and just try to drive people right away. And then, like, after – once you get them going, you don't got to hold them. A lot of the holding would be in pass pro. But I would probably say I'd probably have, like, quite a few in pass pro just because I like to compensate and hold people. But there's certain points in pass pro where you can hold people. So it's, like, it's hard when you're not in that point. It's technically holding. But if you're right here, it's not. So – I would probably get called quite a bit, but Coach Hand would always say, you're in the box with the big guys. Like, if they don't see it, then you're good, and they'll give you a warning. So probably a lot more than I would like to be happy for, but that just kind of comes with the game, just heat of the moment. Which of your teammates would have uh, would have led in penalties if they called holding on every uh, – legitimately every time there was holding? 
I don't know. I don't want to say. I'll probably say like Marcus because statistically, but I don't even know if Marcus holds that much. He just got called for it a lot. And and then uh, you give up a sack. Let's just say you give up a sack, right? Some guy gets around you, right? Hits the quarterback. What do you say to the quarterback? Do you apologize? Are you like, my bad? Like, I'll get you next time? Like, or do you just, just kind of like hide away and hope no one notices? No, you don't really say nothing, honestly. He kind of knows that's how the game goes. Like, what are you going to do? Like, I'm not going to go yell at Dylan when he throws a pick. So, like, if I, even though, like, it's a little bit different because I directly did it, but it's still, like, there's no hard feelings. Usually try not to give up a sack in general or at least not give up a clean one so it's not as bad so you don't at least feel as bad. But, yeah, I mean, I've never gave up a sack in my life, so I don't really know. I think one time I, like, kind of held a guy, Dylan, when I was playing tight end, and the guy hit Dylan's arm, but he never, like, sacked him. But So I never had to go through that, thankfully. All right, your dad played in the NFL, yes? Yeah, he did, 12 and, years. And your cousin – yeah, and your cousin also in the NFL. So different teams. Did you grow up having a favorite NFL team? Yeah, I mean, obviously the Chiefs. I got to go with the Chiefs. Growing up in Wichita, Kansas, my dad playing for the Chiefs. I think when my dad left the Chiefs, he was the longest tender player ever there. Like, he played the longest there. And then, obviously, someone's broken that since 91. But So he's a pretty big-time big, big time guy being born and raised in Kansas, playing there, being second overall pick. So I had to be a Chiefs fan. I went to – football games on the field, like sitting in the end zone before I even remember them. So definitely had to be a Chiefs fan if I liked it or not. So the last few years, they've been pretty good. Have you been able to go to the Super Bowl or any big games like that? Um, I I should have went to the Super Bowl in Miami. My cousin played in that and won it, obviously, but I ended up not going. I mean, I've been to a lot of big-time games and everything. I've just never been to really – I've been, I think I've been to one or two playoff games in my life, but I can't really remember which ones they were. But I've never been to the Super Bowl or anything. But my dad has season tickets, so definitely go to a lot more games now that I'm done playing. They called your cousin the Belldozer, right? Yeah. Do you have a cool nickname? Do you have a nickname cooler than that? Uh, no, not really. I mean, they would always make fun of me and call me like Baby Dozer, but that's about it. I didn't really have a nickname. <laughs> I mean – we had a package called Hippo. All the training room people called me Hippo because I was our, like, 12 personnel package. We obviously couldn't say 12, so we'd just yell out Hippo. But I was just pretty much just B-Bell. I, I wasn't cool like my cousin. I didn't have the notoriety like him. <laughs> <laughs> um, Pre-game, you're, you're getting ready for a game, right? What, uh, what music are you listening to? What, what's getting you hyped up or fired up for a game? Um, I like just, like, a lot of, like, hard metal music. I mean, because what you're doing is not normal going out there. So not listening to normal music kind of gets you hyped up. Go hit a grown man. And then just like a lot of the new age rap, whatever's out, out at the time, kind of the uppity songs. You know, I, I couldn't really pinpoint a certain artist, but I was kind of just divulging and everything just get you going. Sometimes I wouldn't listen to music. I would just go over my plays to just depend how big the game was. What's your favorite football movie of all time? Um... Damn, that's a hard one. I would probably, I mean, I would probably say I just saw this the other day, and either I think Gridiron Game's a good one. I probably sound uneducated saying that, but that's a good one. And then, like, remember the Titans, you can't beat that. That's pretty cool. Like, all the movements they have in that movie and kind of how they came together football. So, but yeah, it's probably remember the Titans has to be if I had to go with something to not kind of sound like I don't know what I'm talking about because <laughs> I didn't have time to think about it. <laughs> All right, here's, here's the last one. I'll let you get out of here. I, I, I've, I've been dying to ask him this question. I, I saw this over the weekend, and I have to know. Smelling salts. How bad do they really smell? What, can you describe a smelling salt to me? 
Yeah, I mean, it's just a really bad burning. Like, I don't know if you've had, ever had anything in your nose that just burns really bad or, like, smelling something that burns. That's what it feels like, like, in your nose. But, like, the feeling, like, mentally, it just, like, gets you going. Kind of just feels like, I don't know, it just like a breath, like someone slapping you in the face almost. Like, the feeling after you get punched, like that adrenaline rush, I don't know, that's just, like, a real uppity feeling. My tight end coach uh, when Hype was there, John Cooper, he was a big smelling salt guy. He would buy them off Amazon. We'd have them all the time. And like in meetings, he would give them to us if we were sleeping. So he, I had a bad experience with those. He had like five in a water bottle, shook them up and like gave them to me for the Yukon game in 2018. Like I couldn't breathe for like a second, but <laughs> <laughs> normally it's not like that, but it's, it's pretty cool. It's nothing. It's one of those things where you see it as a fan and like see him doing it in the NFL and it's not like anything crazy. It's probably just more a placebo if, if anything. Yeah, you probably build up a tolerance after a while, yeah? Yeah, Anything I mean, it, it doesn't last that long. So, like, you got to do it right before the ball snapped, and then it would last for, like, two seconds. So, <laughs> not anything crazy. All right, well, I'm going to go check out Amazon, and uh, and we will uh, we will let you uh, get on with your night, Brett. But we appreciate you taking so much time to join us and walk down memory lane. Uh, awesome to catch up with you, man. And, uh, uh, obviously, people can follow you on, on Twitter at uh, what your Brett, B-E-71, if they want to uh, – follow you on yeah. Twitter and uh, keep tabs with you, but we appreciate you hopping on man. And uh, best of luck to you as you embark on your, uh, your next chapter. Awesome. Yeah. Appreciate you guys for having me. Thank you. All Have right. a good one. All right, charge on. Thanks. Charge on. This is UCF athletic director, Terry Mahajra. And in my spare time, when I'm not on TikTok, I'm listening to Adam and Mike on the sons of UCF. Go Knights and charge on. All right, cow of the week. What a momento, Mike. Uh, Brett Bell. Um, here's the thing: whenever we go into these conversations with some of these guys, you know, there, there are some guys that we've heard talk in front of the media before, so you kind of know, you know, what you're what you're going to get. Uh, Brett's not a guy that you know we heard or had a lot of opportunity to hear from, um, and he's got a really interesting story, Mike. I thought he was really brutally honest about some things. He, he shared a nugget that even as he said it, I saw your your uh, your face perk up about Tremont Morris Brash that we weren't even aware of. Um, so a lot of really good insight that, uh, Brett was willing to provide during that conversation. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know if we're going to release the video version of it, but he did show off his stick fellas tattoo and that's on camera now. So it was a good time talking to Brett and, you know, he confirmed what I always thought about the hypo play calling that basically plays were already organized three, four plays in advance. And if one or two of them didn't hit, then the whole thing just went down the toilet. Yeah, it was interesting too. He, he, you know, again, I think he confirmed some things we knew about Hypo and his personality and some stuff behind the the scenes. I thought his assessment of the 2020 season was really interesting um, and kind of how things went. And obviously, you know, you could sense the disappointment that he had um, in his um, lack of opportunity in 2021. So either way, hopefully you enjoyed uh, hearing from Brad again. It's cool. Um, as much as we every week we want to have on Dante and KZ and Blake Bortles. You know, guys like Brett Bell are really the glue that put a lot of the teams together and help make some of UCF's teams the greatest that they've been. So always cool to catch up with uh, with guys like Brett. Make sure you uh, uh, you give him a follow on social media if you're not uh, already doing so, Mike. Um, but this is not a time to praise people. This is a time to make fun of people. This is Cow of the Week time. This is where we uh, we find something that made us laugh, somebody did something stupid or idiotic, and we um, – well, we make fun of it, Mike, and uh, and you always uh, do the honors. You always go first, so uh, I'll let you lead off. Take it away. All right. Well, last night we crowned a new champion in the NHL. Yay. Congratulations 
to the Colorado Avalanche. On a side note, every year, I, I meant to say this in a future, a previous show, every year I am more um, amazed at how many Tampa Bay Lightning fans are, are, are part of my timeline. I, I always know when the Stanley Cup comes around, all of a sudden all I have all these Tampa Bay Lightning fans. In my, I, who knew? I, I didn't realize there was such a, a Tampa Bay Lightning uh, connection to UCF. I've got Lightning timeline everywhere on my, uh, my Twitter feed. Yeah, I mean, there's a, that's the closest hockey team to Orlando. So, and then there's a lot of UCF fans from the Tampa area. So there's that. But yeah, you don't hear about them during the regular season. I mean, obviously, Tampa's been very good for the last few years. They won the last two cups. So they've built up that fan base. Um, you know, with success comes a lot of bandwagon fans. And I'm sure there's plenty of those there, too. So um, they were good. They've been very good. They've been hard to kill, but finally, somebody killed them. Last night, the Colorado Avalanche took home the Stanley Cup, did it on the road, uh, very worthy champions. You, you wait. Some guys go their whole career uh, just trying to win one Stanley Cup, trying to get to the final, trying to get in a, a position to win the Cup. They finally do it. You're not allowed to touch the Cup before you win it. You know It's bad luck, but you finally get that thing in your hands. You get to kiss it. You get to skate around the rink with it, and then you get to fall and dent the bottom of it. Wait, what? You're this guy. <laughs> you're <laughs> supposed guy to, you were having until the last part. Whose name I'm not even going to try to pronounce. But his name is Nicholas something. Um, <laughs> goes in for the team picture last night with the cup. The whole team's there waiting for him to come in. Skates down there, and as right before he hits the ice, boom, bangs the bottom of the cup on the ice. Puts a pretty good dent in that thing. Um, you know, I'm sure they will they will touch it up and fix that thing and have it ready for next year. But man, that's a bit of a blunder. Have you ever seen somebody just drop the cup while they were skating around with it? I've seen a couple guys come close. I don't think I've ever seen somebody drop it on the ground. This guy slammed it on the ground, and uh, I wonder if there's any kind of penalty that goes along with that. Does he have to pay for the repairs? Or is it just kind of, you know, look the other way kind of thing from the NHL? That's a great thank you. I have no idea. I, I don't think I've ever seen anybody drop the cup. I've seen some people get close. Um, but sports trophies in general, I, I, it's hard. Um, I, I think, uh, wasn't there a team recently who, like, dropped uh, their bowl trophy, I think, and, and shattered that thing? Like, you don't see that very often just in general. Although the Stanley Cup is the largest, I suppose, of all those all those trophies. I think it was the LSU team maybe that shattered that thing. And we've seen Tom Brady throw the uh, Lombardi trophy from boat to boat. Right? Yep, yep. So there's that. I guess it was, was bound to happen at some point. You know, um, fun trivia thing here. Oh. I actually touched the Stanley Cup once, and you know you're not allowed to touch it. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to need more details. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it was 1996. The Panthers were – I think they took it around to the final four cities um, that were still in the playoffs. This is the year the Panthers went to the finals. They brought that thing. I, I believe it was the Broward Mall at the time. And, you know, you go there, you take a picture with the cup, and that's basically all you're supposed to be doing. So you line, I'm, line, I'm in line. I'm, uh, I guess, 15. Yeah, probably not quite 16 yet. Um, and I'm going to take my picture with the cup. And, you know, you're not supposed to touch it. The guys that are there that do manage the cup, they have the gloves on. They can't even touch it with their bare hands, let alone some just regular fan like me. But, you know, that doesn't stop 15-year-old UCF Mike. I get up there as soon as I get close to the thing. I, I try to get my mom to snap the picture as I'm t- touching the cup. 
I don't think she got one with it. But uh, I did put my hands on that thing. They yelled at me right away. I got my picture and I got out of there. But I, I have touched the Stanley Cup. I wonder if that's part of the jinx. Maybe that's why the, the Panthers didn't win it that year. Maybe that's why they've been so crappy since then. Am I to blame? Now you are. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, no one, I don't think anyone was aware that that's what, that's what took place. So now it's clear that you're the problem. Don't Have you touched any of the trophies that I need to know about? Maybe it, you haven't touched like a national championship trophy, have you? Uh, no, I've never been close enough to that. I, I was close enough to the World Baseball Classic trophy, I believe. They have a trophy I don't, for that? I don't think I've touched it. Yeah, there's a trophy. I don't even know what it looks like. But uh, one of the World Baseball Classic games was here in Miami. I remember walking around the stadium and I don't know if I think I took a picture next to it, but I don't remember touching it. Um, not even the, like the UCF trophies I haven't been that close to. So like the Fiesta Bowl, which looks like the coolest trophy that we have, I think, right? It's, it's a huge mm-hmm. chunk of thing with you know the little statues and then the, the gold ball on top that I think weighs like 60 pounds. So that, that's one I haven't touched. I haven't touched the Peach Bowl trophy. I haven't touched any of the conference championship trophies. So maybe next time I'm on campus, I need to go buy that. Great. Here we go. Start touching some things. Touch whatever you got to touch, buddy. But maybe just (laughs) stay away from the trophies. I mean, I don't want to jinx us from, you know, getting, um, you know, getting any uh, any of these trophies uh, in the future. Like maybe you you take one for the team here and just don't. Yeah, I'm not going to drop it. I'm not going to dent it like this guy did because I'm not a cow of the week like he is. But, um, you know, the the Stanley Cup, at least – they can replace that part because they, they replace the rings anyway as it is because they they only keep a certain number of rings on there. Otherwise, it gets too big. If they would have kept every ring they've had, that, that trophy would be 10 feet long by now. So maybe that bottom piece gets taken out and they, and they put something else in. You get your name on it, which is pretty cool, and you get a day to spend with it and do whatever you want. There's probably things done to that trophy that we cannot mention on this podcast um, what, what would you do? You have one day. Let, let's not make it the Stanley Cup. Let's say w- UCF wins the national championship in football, and you know we've been doing this podcast for a few years now. They give us the honor. Hey, you guys get to take home the trophy for one day. What are you doing? Well, so that's different. So if I got the Stanley Cup, I mean, you can drink out of that thing, right? There, there. It's a much larger apparatus. You had some more additional options available to you. Uh, I don't even remember what the college football playoff trophy looks like. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't think it's anything debaucherous, right? I, we're, I'm probably, you know, taking some shots with with it in a picture or something. I mean, you know, I, I don't, I don't think I'm doing like a Michael Irvin with my Hall of Fame jacket or anything like that. Yeah, no, you you, you an announcer girl not taking it in the room and having like you know, the little threesome. <laughs> I mean, if it's in the room, <laughs> I, mean, I, I don't think it'll be in, in actively involved uh, in in the in that, in that <laughs> scenario, as far as I can tell. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. Um, yeah, I don't know what I do either. <laughs> Definitely have a big party, get everybody you know. You know, uh, one cool thing I know a guy oh, whose job it was this is just recently the the World Cup trophy. Okay, sure. The gold, uh, whatever it is. Yeah. He was, he did security with it and he traveled to like eight different countries a couple months ago and he showed me pictures on his phone of him. You know, holding the thing in his room, you know, put, it's on his bed. Um, I don't know what else he did with it, but it, it, that's pretty cool, right? To to be in possession of something like that because that thing is a pretty prized trophy in itself. Is there only one Stanley Cup? Yeah, there's only one. So you get it so, for the year, and then you got to give it back, so the other team gets it. Like you don't get to keep like a replica in your case or something like that. 
Uh, maybe they make replicas for the teams, but I don't think so. I think there's just the one. You get your name put on it. The rings that are retired that they've taken off, I think they go straight to the Hall of Fame, and they're, you can see those parts there. But I'm pretty sure there's only one. Wow. There's only been one. Side note, I'm, I'm, every time there's a, 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 a championship trophy awarded, I'm always thinking that Stanley Cup is the only, the only sport that does this the right way, in my opinion. They always get the trophy. And what do they do? They hand it to the freaking owner. Like, the owner didn't do anything. Like, I don't want to hear from the owner of whatever that team is. Like, hand it to the star player. Hand it to the, the best player. Hand it to the, the player who had the best impact. Like, you don't don't hand it to the owner. And the Stanley Cup's the only trophy, I believe, outside of, like, tennis or golf where it goes directly to the player, where um, where it, it goes directly to the team captain and he gets to skate around with that. I think that the way they do the trophy ceremony in general, I think, is really cool. And I think other sports should figure out a way to make it a little bit more meaningful than – you know, Lisa Salter is handing the trophy to the, you know, the Warriors president and CEO. Like anyone knows who that is. Yeah, that's true. I, I do like the way the NHL does it. I'm actually upset that I missed it last night because uh, I saw the score was one nothing. Tampa was up at the end of the first period. It was already about you know, close to nine o'clock. I'm tired. I was like, you know what? Tampa's going to win this game. It's going to go seven. Um, so I just turned the thing off, went to bed. And then I saw that they lost it. Not that I was rooting for Tampa because I don't like Tampa. So I'm glad they lost the series. But I would have been liked to have seen the uh, trophy presentation live. I as well, Mike. I saw the same thing. I saw Tampa up 1-0. One, one and I was like, okay, well, they're going to win this one and go to 7. Uh, and then I saw it was tied 1-1. One, one. And I was like, yeah, I could turn that on. But I think it was already like 10 o'clock at this point. And I was like, yeah, I don't really care. Like, am I staying up for hockey? I don't really like hockey that much. But anytime I can witness a, a team ultimately win the trophy, like that clinching game, I don't care how if you're a fan of the sport, if you're not a fan of the sport, if you've watched for your whole life or for 10 minutes, nothing's cooler than that moment than seeing a team you know, throw all their gear to the ground and, and run around and jump around and seeing that sort of culmination. We saw Ole Miss this weekend, Mike, win the College World Series, a team that was the last team in, ends up uh, beating Oklahoma and, and wins the College World Series. I don't, I don't care, again, what it is. Watching that, like, penultimate game and seeing a team win and getting a trophy is fantastic every time. Yep, and that's just another case for college football to look at. Ole Miss should not have been. They, If this was football, they would not have been in the playoff. They would not have had a chance to get to that championship game, and yet here they are, settle it on the field. I brought up that Fresno State team plenty of times, had a losing record during regular season, which is why when I talk to UCF baseball, I always say there's hope. You have a chance. If you win your conference, you can get in. Anything can happen. Ole Miss proved it. Good for them. I mean, this is a team that we beat during the regular season this year. So that just shows you sports are different. Football is different from baseball, I understand. But I think that's just another sign that they need to expand the playoff and give teams like this a chance to win the whole thing. I agree. I agree. That that that. I mean, that's a. Uh, I don't understand why. In in some situations like this, it's romanticized. It's cool to see the underdog kind of fight from behind, and and only in college football is it go away. You don't belong. Get out of here. Like I don't. I don't understand the difference between those. No, it's stupid. <laughs> it's always been stupid. Um, even professional football, you get that all the time. Look, my Giants won the Super Bowl. They were 9-7 and seven one year. But you get hot and you you go on a magical run, and those are the seasons that people remember for the rest of their lives. And, and a lot of college football fans are being robbed of that opportunity. Um, it needs to change. It needs to change as soon as possible. 
I agree. I, I, I could, uh, I could, I could not agree more, Mike. I think that makes a ton of sense. Um, I think that is obviously the, um, the thing that we all would sort of want and, and need and, and hope, uh, that could happen. And, uh, it just, uh, it just never does. I don't know. Um, my cow of the week is, uh, our, our, our fans, UCF fans, Mike. Oh boy! Yeah, you know what? Not all of them. There's just a few. Uh, we, you and I, and, and Trace, we, we're trying to do something different over the summer. There's not a lot going on right now, so we're doing these lists. We're doing these things. We're trying to put these graphics out there to get people talking, Mike. And, and every time we do one of these, we did a couple so far. We did like a top uh, forty uh, of things that you could have done at UCF. We did our, our QB Mount Suns more. And then you put out like a picture graphic where there are six pictures of, you know, just iconic moments at UCF and they had to pick one. I don't care whatever it is. There's always some jackass with some sort of negative comment or some sort of just, you know, just moronic statement like, you know, you forgot the best photograph or, you know, uh, why would you ever put this guy there? And, you know, uh, somebody didn't go to UCF recently. Like, why can't we just have fun? Why can't why can't we just be like, here's a list. Look at the list. Here's a couple of pictures. Pick your favorite. Why? Why? Why does everybody? Why does somebody always have to have like a negative connotation on something? Why can't we just be like, hey, here are six cool pictures. These aren't the best six pictures of all time. Six really cool ones. Cool moments. Pick your favorite. Why? Why? Why can't we just have fun? Like, I don't get it. Why can't we all just get along? Why can't we all just get along? Great question. Great question. <laughs> because it's the internet. It's 2022. And people can say whatever they want because they know that you're, they're not actually saying it to you in person. That's what the internet has become. Um, you know, things like this. Yeah, the, the picture thing. Well, I think we left out some of the best pictures on purpose because if I put in the Mike Hughes returning, you know, the. Uh, Reservation for six of the Cabanas, everybody's going to choose that one, right? It's kind of like what happened when I did the uh, top plays March Madness thing. We knew that was going to win going in, and it did. But um, so that all these other plays are, are great moments. The, the pictures themselves are, are fantastic pictures. That Brandon Helwig took a couple of them. The J.J. Wharton picture is perfect. Like the perfect timing is in the perfect spot for it. You, you can't plan things like that. Um, I, to me, if you factor in the moment and the picture itself, my favorite one was the Hale Perriman. Mm-hmm. One, because it was the biggest moment of the game. Obviously, it won the game for us. It won us a conference championship. So it was a bigger game than the Temple game. It was a bigger game than the even the Alabama game because the Alabama game was, you know, as people brought up, against a 3-8 and team. But this is, this is a championship game against East Carolina, who is the team we've played most, I think, uh, of any team so it's a rivalry game on the road and then you see the picture of him making the catch behind two pirates that are just flailing their arms in the air and then the third pirate ripping his helmet off unbuckling his helmet is my favorite part i, I could almost hear the cannon go off just looking at the picture um so that's a great one but all the other ones are great too you know and there is no right or wrong answer so if somebody picks one and you come in and call him an idiot for picking that then you're the actual idiot yeah, I just we're just having some fun here. Like you know, uh, the the forty things list. Someone was like, "How come you put the Fiesta Bowl and not the Peach Bowl?" Because everyone would have the Peach Bowl. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. To your point, we're trying to make this isn't the best forty items ever, right? The, there, there's no official rankings on Mountain Suns more of quarterbacks. Like everyone just freaks out and calls people names. And literally, uh, you you and I got I think we were called ignorant by one guy. Um, and so I responded back. I was like, "Hey, by the way, we went to school with with Dante." And he was like, "Oh yeah, you know, he, he was a good player." 
why don't you call us ignorant? <laughs> why don't you be like, hey, did you guys see Dante play? And we'd have been like, yeah, we sure did. Uh, I mean, it's just, why can't we have fun, Mike? Let's, why can't we just have some fun? That's it. It's just summer. There's nothing else going on. Every, like, seven days, maybe we get a boom or two, and that's really it because we don't know how good these guys are getting anyway. Let's just have some fun, man. Well, uh, maybe I take it differently than you, but I, for me, the fun was seeing people fight with each other. Over Although that was fun. But but <laughs> to look at the pictures and be like, you guys are idiots, you missed one. Like, okay, thank you. Like, we appreciate your feedback. <laughs> like, that's that's just bad. Like, that's exactly how we that, – that, that, that does nothing for this conversation. Thanks for calling it a name. Like, keep it moving. Yeah, but I, I did enjoy some people arguing back and forth. Um, that kind of entertained me for a little bit. I, I kind of just like egging them on a little bit or – you know, playing devil's advocate here and there too. So, uh, don't, if you, you enjoyed last week, I'm sure we got a doozy for you this week too. And we got a bunch of them lined up. I think we're going to take you all the way to kickoff with these lists, right? We've got a bunch. Yeah. I, I, I sent you a, a text around, we should do top five bottled water brands. I don't know if you got that one or not though. Oh yeah, I did. I did. It's a controversial uh, one. It? Controversial one. <laughs> um, okay, I can prepare one. You want to do it now? Do we need it? I mean, do you have, I have my five already. I don't know if you're aware. Do, do we, I feel like we need a 4th of July themed one coming up here soon. Like, I don't know what that is though. Like 4th of July, you know, uh, uh, uh barbecue items. Like what, what, what we need a 4th of July related one. Yeah. I mean, obviously there's a barbecue, so you're going to have beer, you're going to have burgers, you're going to have hot dogs, you're going to have fireworks. There's four things right there. What else you need? Some good music. All right. Never mind. We don't need a top five. Mike <laughs> has just provided his top five. But anyway, follow us on social media. We'll do these all all summer until we run out or get bored. Yeah. I, you started it with making these lists. And then last week I was at my daughter's softball practice and I texted you back with like 10 different top five lists that I came up with while I was just sitting there during practice. So. Um, I think my work is done. You just gotta go I, see, trace and, and I, I was so I, I've got some of traces already. I was gonna I was gonna get back to you because I, mm-hmm. I, I know you did your list kind of uh you know on the fly, if you will, right? You weren't like you know doing a lot of heavy research, although you're a very uh well read individual. I feel like there's a couple of lists that you left something out on and I don't know oh, if yeah, I should sure. tell you or not, or if like I should just let you figure it out once the list comes out. <laughs> I'm sure there's a bunch because even right after I sent it to you, I was like, oh, I forgot this guy on this list and I forgot this on your Yeah, and I may have to reverse an order or two on a couple things too. So, Do you want me to check with you before I publish these things? Yeah, yeah. Before you send it out, make sure I confirm that's my five in that order. Okay, uh, okay. Rethink things. Okay. Well, that makes my job a lot harder, but I'd be happy to uh, happy because you're missing a coach for sure. I know you know you're missing a coach. Um, on that list, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so um, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll get all those figured out again. Social media stuff, sounds UCF, wherever you you you, you follow uh, social media things, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, we're there. YouTube channel uh, four fifty six, I think, and counting. Mike, we're we're climbing to five hundred. I don't know what happens at five hundred, but we're climbing that way. So. Appreciate everyone for subscribing uh, to, to that. Uh, also, subscribing to the podcast and getting all of the shows in the feed. Um, there's a lot going on. You guys are always good to us, and uh, we can't thank you enough. Yep, keep it going. And you know what else you guys can do is spread the word. I mean, we know we appreciate you guys listening every week, and we've had our very loyal following for a, a while now. You know, a lot of f- fans we know by name and guys we interact with on the Internet. But I'm sure there's plenty of people that, have never talked to us through Twitter or any of these other platforms, but they do listen every week. They know about the show. So just go and tell a friend about it and let a couple of other people know. This way when football season comes around, everybody knows the place to tune in. 
And that would be right here. Also Thursday nights for the live show, 8 p.m. Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. We bring Trace in for that. It's always a good time. Guests and and live questions, and you never know what you're going to get there. So make sure you are tuning in to both of those, and we appreciate you very much. Thanks for uh, all your support. Everybody have a fantastic week. Summer is here. We will do our best to get you through it. Uh, so everybody just kind of stick in there and hang, uh, hang, hang together, and we will figure out a way to make it work. Until Thursday, everybody be well. Go Knights. Charge on. Sports Social Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.